when the central bankers of the G7 nations went into the room in Jackson Hole in August 2019 and they voted on the going direct reset, everything that's happening to us right now is part of the going direct reset and they voted on it. It was a plan. Okay? So they wrote a plan. They decided to do this. So they've been, they've been engaged in the financial coup for 20 years. We're now coming into the end game. They have to consolidate the financial coup and they vote on the going direct reset. And with that one decision, they made a decision over the next year to put 500 million people out of work. That's the equivalent of dropping several nuclear bombs around the world. That's financial warfare. And they made it intentionally, they made it knowingly, and it was a plan. And what is very important to understand when you think about this pandemic is people are not dying from magic viruses. People are dying from tyranny. They're dying from a great poisoning that's part of that tyranny. But our problem and the thing we need to be afraid of is tyranny because the tyranny is about to get much, much worse. And and it's the passports and, and that system of central bank digital control that will give them the ability to do that. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, January 2nd, 2023. Yes, I didn't forget. I knew I was <laughs> expecting myself to say the wrong date today. Welcome to the show. I have a great show planned for you today. Some, some, A, a far-reaching show, a lot, a lot to include. And it's one of these days where the, the, the title doesn't really even come close to encapsulating all the information that's packed into this show. <clears throat> but that is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that is the most important framing of the middle part of the show today, which, it, which, as you guys know, we've been knocking this down since the beginning of this. A couple points on that exact discussion, actually. But there's really a lot to get into other than just the pandemic of the injected being more and more and more and more fleshed out, experts and peer-reviewed science and so on. We're going to start today with a pretty good discussion in foreign policy. Some interesting kind of smattering of points from from Belarus shooting a stray Ukrainian missile down. Weirdly not talked about as much as you would have expected coming off the heels of the Poland discussion and how that very interestingly aligns. It, it's exactly why you would think they didn't talk about it. And as well as that story having an interesting overlap to maybe kind of gaslighting that that past psyop that the Poland conversation was talking about the fascist extremist Israeli government and how this is very interestingly changing the scene and showing you a lot that was, I argue, very, very apparent moments ago, but more and more clear now that even people on their side, Jewish people, prominent Jewish people in the United States or in the West are speaking out against this fascist entity that they've just elected. It's really interesting. And watching people try to do mental gymnastics to make sense of this, it's exactly what it looks like. And that's the interesting part. And we're going to, of course, get into an interesting part about Twitter today that I want to I really want people to see what I'm seeing in this and why this concerns me so, so in such a strong way. And this is the idea about the source material conversation. And I've, I've, I feel like I've gone through this far too many times. And, and what I, I want people to see today is, is not so much that 
you know, the content is being disagreed with. That's, I think, the focal point of this section today is not necessarily saying that we're even it's not even in on in the conversation. I mean, it, it is relevant whether or not the information is correct. It, I mean, arguably, it's the most important part. But the point that I'm making is whether or not the information is correct. The way people are engaging with this is really concerning to me. And I guess the focal point of this segment is how not just with Twitter files, but in every sense today, people are being framed as I don't even know how what to f- call it. I, I, yeah, I don't even really they're being attacked for asking for source material and any framing of the whether it's just like, hey, do you have a link for that thing you just posted? And, and you just get mercilessly attacked today. And it only makes sense to me in the context of a, a very obvious agenda where we can almost see the outlines where, where people are just very honestly going, please, can you can you share the link with me? And they're like, do your own research. It's really interesting. And I think the Twitter files is kind of like the focal point of this and where, again, to the point that I think the information, I, as I said many times, is, is if not entirely mostly true. The reason I would say I don't know that is because we haven't seen the full body of work to compare it with. But my opinion and what I've already done research on, it all seems to be exactly what we expected. Again, most of which we've already proven on these shows and lots of independent media. But the way that it's being engaged with is very dishonest. And we're being attacked and, and sh- sh- I guess, <laughs> removed from the conversation for even daring to question that these people aren't already on our side, which seems impl- completely counterintuitive to what we just went through. It's very concerning. But we're also going to talk about a lot around the COVID-19 injection that I think we've already known uh, and watching them very, very embarrassingly eating, you know, eating crow, whatever the many different analogy or uh, puns, analogies. I can't even speak today, I guess. The different phrases that we use to talk about how people are owning up or I guess not owning up, but at least admitting to a very quiet degree that they've been wrong the entire time, like injections hurting people, myocarditis, and on and on. Now the Wall Street Journal is going, are vaccines fueling COVID variants? Duh, (laughs) we've been telling you that from the beginning, not with our opinions, but with peer-reviewed science. And it's yet another example of how these experts, and I shouldn't even use quotes, these people have degrees and have, you know, stand. the point is that they are somehow not able to see the information unless they're given that information by very specific sources. It's not like we're making this stuff up. I'm an important point again today about a Scott, the Scott Adams syndrome, which we should start calling it. That <laughs> They just don't want to realize that we weren't just guessing into the wind and got lucky, but the evidence has always been there. And yes, these injections are causing the variants. It's basic and the science backs it up. And now they're admitting that to you. And of course, a whole bunch of information about how these things are very, very damaging and hurting people, just like we've always been talking about. And a really important conversation to end this in regard to how we see this going long before the COVID-19 situation. And I think it's going to continue unless we do something about it. And a quick brief part about the Great Reset direction. But let's start with foreign policy. This is important, I think, in general, because it shows you how willing these people are to lie to you about just about everything in front of you and how all of this connects all of it from foreign policy and i say this a lot but i really want us to always think about or at least consider that uh, that my opinion is that these things overlap whether we're talking about ukraine or belarus or russia or syria or bolivia or any of these locations there's a reason these things are being executed and it's not just money and control those things matter We've been watching this play out for a really long time. Now, this is really interesting. So I want to go through these. Again, huge shout out to antiwar.com, as always. I really can't say that enough. I don't often 
I think lately because we're focused on so many other things other than foreign policy that I don't give them enough shout out, but they are such a great source. Very, you know, concise in the way that people think the word means, usually pretty short, but very well and in, concise in the context of information as well, that they have a lot of information in a, you know, reasonably short grouping. Now, this says Belarus shoots down stray Ukrainian air defense missile. Now, you might be surprised if you didn't hear about this because it didn't it didn't end up being this coast to coast nonstop coverage about whatever they told you was the narrative before they had any information. Weird how it act. They went differently this time, isn't it? Remember, remember Poland? I'll include this. So you guys can look at the research here. It was one of the most embarrassing examples of how what a followers these people are. I mean, I don't even know if they're aware of it. Who knows if they can't think past their shoelaces today? Who knows? But the point is they very quickly, all of them from AP down to the lowest rung, blindly repeated exactly what they were told. Why? Because of one anonymous source that we didn't know. Think about how sad that is. It's the propaganda pipeline. And as I, you can see, we covered this Ukraine, Poland, false flag falls apart in real time. That was the day this was happening. And I wrote about it or covered it on the show as mainstream media toes the line. Here's what we can prove, you know, being objective about it and breaking it down and showing at the very least that they didn't know. And, and then, of course, on the 18th, we covered it. The Poland lie exposed the propaganda pipeline and Israel sent secret strategic materials to Ukraine. Just in case you want to know that, too, because that also happened. The point being is that they all parroted this. So here coming back to the point. Belarus shoots down another stray missile. Now, the, the main point of all this is to remember that people like Scott Ritter and plenty of others who have who are very, very knowledgeable in these in these fields. were speaking about the S-300s, which they're using. And remember that the way this thing works, especially when we're talking about Belarus, it, it, they would have to be either completely incompetent, which is certainly possible, or aiming away from where the missiles were coming from to be able to make this happen. Now, if you want to go deeper in that, I recommend you watch these two shows because I play his videos and he breaks it down. He's the expert, as, as well as many are who would tell you this. The way that these things work with the, the way that you direct the, the, the laser, the radar, to you know, the direction you have to be aiming and pointing. And the point is that if it's in the other direction, you don't shoot at a missile away from you. So the point is, that's what happened here. Belarus on Thursday said it shot down a stray Ukrainian air defense missile from an S-300 system that ended up in its territory and summoned Ukraine's envoy over the incident. Quote, it was preliminarily established that the fragments belong to an S-300 anti-aircraft guided missile launched from the territory of Ukraine. Now, let me ask you this, guys. How come that didn't happen like that with Poland? Isn't that weird how it was instantly they go, oh, obvious S-300, clearly. Well, because you could have done that, too. And that's what ultimately happened. But it's very clear that there wasn't just Zelensky pushing a lie and people fell for it. There was an effort across the board, including whoever this anonymous source was that lied, saying that this was clearly a Russian attack while we had the evidence on the ground and it only took later for independent media pushing this through to, for us to see that i think that's pretty ridiculous we're always being lied to about this stuff the missile was downed in a field in belarus southwestern breast breast region now actually i, I do want to bring the map up really quickly i want to show you guys this this is super this is really interesting to bring down the screen share real quick and i want to show you the map and then we can look at this together So let's go to, oh, we're already there. I looked at it earlier. Okay, so here we are. Make sure you guys can see it. Oh, you can't see it. Here it is. So you have, I forget how to switch it back. Well, this is fine. You like it, the other view is better. It's harder to see. So you got Ukraine right here, right? And you got Belarus right here. I believe you guys can see my mouse, <clears throat> the cursor, right? Yeah. 
So the point is, guys, if you can see how this works, we're talking about we're talking about the Southwest region. Okay, that's all. That's that is the most unlikely. And look at it; it's all the way over here. It is all the way in this pocket, all the way on the opposite side of where this is coming from. I mean, this is coming from Russia or or inside of the Russian controlled territory, Donbass and Crimean controlled territory of Ukraine. And we're going to pretend that Ukraine accidentally fired this way toward Belarus or that they were shooting a missile away from themselves. Like there is no logistical, technical, none of there's no way that makes sense. And people this is exactly what Scott Ritter was saying last time. And they just buy it. It's pretty ridiculous. So let's go back to this. I just want to make sure we can actually see the and how that works and why that just doesn't make any sense in every possible way. So back to the report. So again, in a field in the southwest region, and local authorities downplayed the incident. It's the it's it says it's the first known time that a Ukrainian missile ended up in the Belarus since the war started, and it came as a, as Russian missiles and drones were pounding Ukrainian infrastructure. Belarus is now I I you want my opinion? I'm just guessing. It seems like this was another attempt to do the same thing. Fire in another direction and just blame it on Russia. But obviously, I don't I mean, I don't even I we surprised me actually if that was what was the what the effort was because of how clearly there's a million different things involved in this that show that's not the case, but I just don't know otherwise why that would have happened. But we guess all day long. The point is you can prove based on how these things work that this was a, an action taken in the opposite direction. Now, it says Belarus's foreign ministry said it demanded an investigation into the incident. So clearly they know, too. I mean, you don't demand an investigation if it was just a wayward missile. According to Al Jazeera, a spokesman for Ukraine's military appeared to acknowledge it was a Ukrainian missile and said the incident was, quote, nothing strange, a result of air defense. Think about the cavalier. It doesn't matter whether it was an accident or not. Or whether it's like basically their argument is, well, Russia's attacking us. So whatever happens, it's their fault. You don't blame us. It happens because we're defending ourselves. They've clearly latched on to the kind of the world or rather Western narrative around all this, which is that nothing they do is wrong because Russia started it. Like kindergarten level argument. Nothing strange, a result of air defense. Do you realize we're talking about, again, even ignoring the logistics and saying you fired in the opposite direction? The idea that it should not be casual to pretend it's a usual thing that you, your missiles, whether defense or otherwise, are ending up in, a, in areas where civilians can be killed. Even if it was something that you could expect to be common, it's still not just a casual thing. And any other situation, that would be regarded as such. Imagine this was in reverse. Imagine if it was Russia doing this and it was hitting anywhere else. In Poland, in Belarus, people, or rather, let's make it Poland or any other place where it's controlled by or <laughs> influenced by the West, you know that they would frame it as unacceptable. It's just the classic hypocrisy of these people pretending like everything they do is justified, even if it's wrong, and everything they do is bad, even when it's not wrong. In November, a Ukrainian S-300 missile hit a farm in Poland, killing two people. When the missile strike was first reported, Ukraine, Zelensky, claimed outwardly, aggressively, and as far as I can tell, right up until this point, that it was a Russian attack. In the face of the evidence, kept lying about this. Three, four days past this, then it just drifted in the back of the news cycle. And demanded NATO take action. Don't forget that. Demanded, before the evidence had been clear, that NATO do something about it. You're, that is a false flag that didn't work. Ukraine had help from an unnamed U.S. intelligence official. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe a CIA officer involved with the entire thing that's been going on for decades. 
who told the Associated Press that the missile hit Poland and was Russian. Now, you could argue that the game they played was trying to pretend like it was Russian so that they all took the bait and the media did what they always do was parrot what they're told and didn't realize that it could have been a Russian S-300 used by Ukraine or a Russian attack. Who knows how they play these games? But President Biden later said the missile wasn't Russian in Poland. They know publicly said it came from Ukraine in response to a false leak. It's not a leak, guys. That is an agent in the government who blatantly lied. And they all took the bait because that's how it works. Now, please check this out to understand how ridiculous it is. This is still happening. These are the people that they're funding. And we'll get to more of them in a minute. Now, on top of this, just to realize how how belligerent these people are. Now, it doesn't matter your opinion in the context of what we're staring at in regard to whether you think Taiwan is part of China or they're independent. Now, the same point I made last time is ultimately that places like Donbass and Crimea, regardless, again, of your opinion of it, you know, what we should engage with is what we can prove, which is that there's hundreds of international observers that were present for multiple locations that all said that what happened to Donbass was legitimate. It was fair. It was legal. And they voted and everybody, same thing. And the U.S. just goes, no, we disagree. Just like with Crimea, the government, I should say. Oh, what's your evidence? No, because fake news, because they're not democracy and whatever. Same thing with Bolivia. No, it wasn't real. And then it got proven to be a real election and nothing ever went back. That's how this works. I I literally think everybody sees that. And we just play it a different way for our own political gain or whatever. The point is that Taiwan did not go through these processes. They didn't. Suddenly, the U.S. just says that they are because they want them to be. Now, look, Taiwan has a right to declare their independence like I would argue anybody anywhere does. I mean, to make this point every time, do you think it would be okay with the U.S. if Hawaii tomorrow said, we're no longer part of your country? They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't allow it because they don't care about freedom or democracy. They care about control. So in this case, the State Department approves $180 million of arms sales for Taiwan. What do you think that's going to do? What do you think the U.S. would do if Russia started selling weapons to Mexico? It doesn't make sense. And I use Mexico for a reason because it doesn't really matter whether they're a part of the country. You could argue what they started selling weapons to Hawaii because Hawaii wanted to be independent. It's the same game, isn't it? Why wouldn't that be allowed? Don't let everybody have a right to independence because they wouldn't allow it. So this is guaranteed to cause conflict or at least cause more tension, which is the only thing they seem to want to do here under the guise that they have a right to do this because freedom that only applies one way. The State Department on Wednesday approved a $180 million arms sale potential, so I guess it could go up, amid heightened tensions with China over U.S. support for the island. Right, so think about how dumb this is. This is ultimately their logic, right? So the State Department approves this money, or arms sales, because of the tensions. That's that's just what they're talking about. But the tension is only present because of their support. And this is always how they play this game. Where they do something and they point at that something and go, oh, what's happening there? We need to do something about that. And they rush in and do something which makes it worse every single time. Just like the solution to COVID-19. How did that work out for everybody? The Pentagon's Defense Security Cooperation Agency, DSCA, said the deal was for vehicle-launched volcano anti-tank munitions. You know, no big deal. Laying systems and related equipment. The primary contracts for the deal are Northrop Grumman and Oshkosh Corporation. You know, the merchants of death. The State Department's approval notifies Congress of the potential deal and begins a period during which lawmakers could attempt to block the sale. So not only this isn't this is going through Congress technically, but we're talking about a State Department doing it itself. 
but it says the stale shouldn't have any issues because there's virtually no opposition to this in Congress, which shows you the uniparty. As always, the potential sale comes after Biden signed the 2023 NDAA, which includes $10 billion of loans for Taiwan to buy U.S.-made arms that will be dispersed over five years. You know, complete red line crossing guaranteed to cause problems. And then when they even say something about it, they'll frame that statement as belligerent and, di- and saber rattling and whatever else. It's just silly that we all pretend this isn't exactly what it looks like. Now also realize that the NDAA is usually a catch-all for doing things that are absolutely the worst thing from, I mean, you some of the worst things that we've ever gone through or whether we realize it or not in this country have been because of things like that. You know, like the indefinite detention that Obama put in there or the Smith-Munt Modernization Act that ultimately changed the situation to where it was legal for the government to lie to you via propaganda as long as it's national security. Oh, but don't forget, the entire thing we're talking about around the DOD and the vaccine administration and the COVID-19 agenda, well, it's all rooted in the concept of national security. So let's go ahead and assume you, it all could be a lie. Shocking. We just went over this in the last show. I hope you can check it out. The point is, this is going to cause more tension, and that's what they want. Earlier this month, the State Department approved $425 million in arms sales to Taiwan for spare aircraft parts to support the island's F-16 fighters, C-130 transport planes, and other U.S.-supplied weapon systems. This is another proxy war, and if you can't see that, you're choosing not to. It's as evident as anything on the table today. China is opposed to any new U.S. arms sales to Taiwan, any in general, really, and much more strongly opposed to the new military aid. In response to Biden signaling the NDAA, China launched a major drills around Taiwan, citing the es- escalation, collusion, and provocation by the United States and Taiwan. So now it's, 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 it's now they're going to point at China's drills, just like they do with Russia, and they're going to say, "Oh, look at them causing you know conflict and tension." Yeah, in their own like it's as stupid as arguing that the U.S. government doing things on their border is something dangerous to china it's only because they stick their fingers in this and act like they have a right to just declare something without any legal process and ignore other legal processes they don't agree with it's just hypocritical in every possible way this is conflict initiation just like we saw the other day all right you know what i actually let me think if i can grab that real quick there's an important video that i that i want to play forgot that we grabbed this the other day let me see real quick in regard to conflict initiation. I talked about this with Brian from High Impact Flicks. And if I can't find it real quick, I'll skip it. But it's a really important clip that we've seen, that you guys have seen many times. Maybe I can't find it. Oh, well. That's too bad. It's a good clip, and I know we've talked about it many times, and this is the guy... From, I think it's the, oh, there it is. Just when I was going to give up. Okay, as that's uploading. Now, this is an important one because this is a guy talking about exactly what we're dealing with here. Crisis initiation, conflict initiation. Telling us that it's difficult to get us to war with Iran. Which is what he says. Because that's what this stuff is really about, guys. It's about creating the justification to go to war. Now, what you're going to hear in this clip is that this is what has always brought the U.S. to war. Crisis initiation. It's just that they don't think we care enough to think what we're hearing is exactly what it is. I frankly think that crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh, president can get us to war with Iran. Um, 
which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of Amer America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. Uh, some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into World War II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think Mr. Wilson wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall we had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS, uh, yes. until the Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked, which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing which the South Carolinians had said would cause an attack. So if, in fact, the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. One can combine other means of pressure with sanctions. Uh, I mentioned that explosion uh, on August 17th. Uh, we could step up the pressure. I mean, look, people, Iranian submarines periodically go down. Someday one of them might not come up. Who would know why? <laughs> we can do a variety of things if we wish to increase the pressure. I'm not advocating that. But I'm just suggesting that uh, it, it, it's, this, this is not a, a either-or proposition. Of, you know, it's just sanctions has to, has to succeed or other things. We are in the game of using covert means against the Iranians. We, we could get nastier at that. Per, I mean, there's not even any statement needed. It's literally what it sounds like. Don't for All the things he listed off. Fort Sumter being the most obvious. So he did the thing that he knew would cause them to attack. It's like they are playing the game. And every one of these pieces or games or moves include human lives. Every one of them. The attack caused people to die. People died after that. They did this knowing people would die just so they could achieve an end. He's talk, the whole premise of the conversation is crisis initiation. <laughs> right? So you don't just go, oh, we, had to, we just sat back and hoped they attacked Pearl Harbor. No, it's called crisis initiation. They're initiating crisis. What he's talking about is the fact that they're well aware that they were either knowing things were going to happen and let them happen or made them happen. It's exactly what we're talking about. That's what we're looking at right here. It's one small part in crisis initiation. Here's an example. U.S. warplane reports unsafe encounter with Chinese jet. <laughs> okay. You got to love how this gets reported. Oh, and, and uh, oh, so those are anti-war. This one is the Libertarian Institute. So what are we talking about here? Well, you could look at it and go, well, oh, man, China, dangerous, and they're doing bad things and flew too close. Well, where are they exactly? Oh, I see. So they're all the way on the other side of the world over the South China Sea. And they're, they're playing at something unsafe? Like, think about the childish nature of that framing. Why are you all the way over there? Is it only, is it, you know, so if China was flying their jets all around you, North or South America, they would lose their, the point is, guys, that the way they frame this, and it happens too, it goes both ways. It's just the way they're talking, they're going over there, they're trying to cause conflict with everything they're doing, and then they report, oh, look at they did, they flew too close. It's just ridiculous. Now, here is an example of how what they're doing, and you, you, you forget about ISIS? Yeah, it's because no one talks about it anymore. I doubt this is even real if you had to get my honest opinion. But here we are talking about an example of what they're praising. Oh, look at what we did. Anti-war covering it appropriately, but CENTCOM says U.S. troops killed 686 suspected ISIS members. Great, great. So what you're basically telling us is we killed a bunch of people we hope are ISIS. And then in the context of that hope they're ISIS killing, they also for sure killed a bunch of civilians. But, but hooray, right? Freedom. 
I mean, my God, if, especially if we know that pl- people that were even in Guantanamo turned out to not even actually be who they said they were, it's amazing that we still let these people operate on suspected anything in situations where they almost always cause civilian casualties, drone strikes. Now, it says Bi- Biden falsely claimed in July that U.S. troops were not engaged in combat in the Middle East. And this admission proves that they lied about that, which, by the way, we know they did. Now, don't forget, I, I should grab. Well, I, I'll, I don't want to. Let me see if I can bring up another doc here. Now I'm going to lose this, the page. So the point is, make sure you check out the Al Qaeda documentary on CorbettReport.com, but also the watch throughs we did with all four or three of them on The Last American Vagabond. The point is that you'll find very quickly you understand that ISIS is not what they say it is. That we're talking about a CIA, MI6, you know, government created entity to use as a boogeyman. Now, that doesn't mean that every single thing everywhere ends up being under their control because we see how clumsy and and just basically incompetent these people are. And these things just they don't care. People get, you know, factions split off and things happen. But the point is, it's provable, guys. It's undeniable what this actually is. Now, it says U.S. Central Command sent COM on Thursday released the end of the year report that said U.S. troops carried out 313 missions in Iraq and Syria against ISIS. I guess we just assume that means whatever they want it to mean. Killing 686 suspected members. That's fantastic. We're supposed to just go, yay, because you're not supposed to challenge this because it makes you a a terrorist supporter. Right. Am I an Assad apologist or whatever they're going to say? We're not scared of that. I've never been scared of that kind of garbage. That's like, you're a conspiracy theorist. Okay, (laughs) great argument. But today, even more so, I think people are getting less and less concerned. It's like saying Israel just killed people in that war. It's racist. It's like too late. That doesn't work anymore, guys, because we're talking about the Zionist government, not whatever you want to claim. And the point here is the same thing. People are no longer afraid, I think, as much to point out that what they're saying here is at least questionable. Just because you say you're bombing terrorism, we should also point what about what if they're not? Breaking it down by country, and you know, there's a whole conversation to be had about whether people they call terrorists are simply people who are resisting imperial occupation, or somebody who that you know they murdered their family of and they're acting out an aggression, which would very well also be a terrorist. But the point is that there's more to just saying bad guys so we can kill them. Breaking it down by country, the command said U.S. troops participated in 108 partnered operations with the Kurdish-led SDF, which, you know, there's a whole conversation to be had about how the Kurds are constantly abused and the SDF, the Syrian Defense Forces, not even remotely that. Now, yes, there's a lot of Kurdish individuals that are just, it's a multifaceted group, but there are actual people there that are part of the whole moderate rebels manipulation. You know, really, really dangerous people. And on top of that, that we know the Kurds are influenced by the... uh, uh, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name now. It doesn't matter. I'm going to forget. I'm going off on a tangent. But the point is, there's a lot of influences that overlap here with specifically Kurdish influence with the the not organic protests that aren't really protests that are happening in Iran. Like this all overlaps. And it says, and 14 unintentional missions, oh, excuse me, unilateral missions in Syria that killed 466 ISIS, quote, operatives. In Iraq, U.S. troops took part in 191 partner operations with Iraqi government forces, which killed 220 ISIS operatives. The biggest battle took place at a prison in Al-Hasaka, Syria, that holds thousands of ISIS fighters. Fighting ensued after an attempted prison break out, and U.S. gave air support to SDF fighters on the ground. It's like, you know, just just call me a skeptic. I'm just my opinion. I, I bet you it's far more likely they were trying to break these people out. 
as like a all tomf kind of association argument where you have a ISIS base of people that are trying to break. You have to understand that the U.S. government is verifiably working with these people on the ground. It is undeniable. So when you see these kind of arguments, it makes you go, well, what's really happening? According to CENTCOM, more than 420 suspected ISIS members and 120 SDF fighters were killed in the battle. Reported at the time of the battle said that ISIS had about 850 children held hostage at that prison. And at least two were killed as a result of the battle. So you know there's almost a thousand children in this building and you carry out an attack and a fight. I mean, really? But that wasn't mentioned by CENTCOM, of course. So children died as they went after suspected members of ISIS. A 17-year-old Australian boy, very interesting part of this that I guarantee you're not going to get in the corporate discussion, who was at the prison at the time of the battle, told Human Rights Watch, of all people, that he estimated 15 to 20 children were killed as a result of the, of the government attack. The boy said he was injured by a U.S. Apache helicopter strike. CENTCOM offered no estimate of civilian casualties that were killed as a result of the operations. This is, this is what they're hailing as a success, guys. Think about how disgusting that is. In one U.S. Special Forces raid in Syria against an ISIS leader in February, civilians were reportedly killed, which was confirmed by the Pentagon, which happens almost every time. Just look at Obama's record. The, the civilian death rate is through the roof. Some reports said that up to six children were killed and four women. President Biden said the raid was successful because it killed the person they said it did, who I guess we're supposed to take at face value because we never got any evidence of that. Back in July, Biden falsely claimed that U.S. troops were no longer involved in the mission in the Middle East. Anybody, no boots on the ground. Ahead of his visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia, he said he would, quote, be the first president in the, to visit the Middle East since 9-11 without U.S. troops engaged in a combat mission. So he lied to you. Or he doesn't know, because I, I, I just think it's easy for all of us to engage with the concept that Biden may not be in the know. Besides U.S. operations in Iraq and Syria, Biden told Congress that U.S. troops were also deployed in Yemen to conduct operations against al-Qaeda. You know, that gigantic al-Qaeda pocket that's in the middle of Saudi-controlled territory that's only gotten larger since the beginning? They're not fighting al-Qaeda in Yemen. I mean, what a ridiculous joke. They are working directly with them on the ground, and you can basically prove this with what's been going on in Yemen from the beginning. And again, the controlled territory that's literally in the middle of Saudi Arabia-controlled territory. While not technically in the Middle East, Biden deployed additional troops to Somalia this year and has been ramping up the drone war. And it's the same old game, guys. Bush, Obama, Biden, Trump. It goes around and around and around. Now, Biden, of course, in the middle of all this, says he's looking forward to working with the Netanyahu government. You know, the same Biden government that's openly saying they're waging a war against the far right. They're waging a war against the white supremacist, Nazi, white supremacist, whatever, whatever terms they're using. Of course, when they're mine, all they're saying is you Americans that don't agree with what we're doing. And we're just going to call you far right. Simple. That shouldn't be a left right concept, right? The point is, it's not about right and left because I'm not right or left. And they will happily sweep me into that because I'm challenging their narratives. But the point is, he calls Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu friends for decades, ignores concerns about the rise of the far right politicians. Now, you have to realize, guys, this is not a fringe concept. uh, uh, Robert wrote about it. But I mean, pretty much every outlet, even corporate media, were writing kind of wringing their hands about this, going, these guys are pretty extreme. And the point is that even the ADL in the past has called some of these people actual terrorists, people that work with the part of the, the religious Zionist political party. These, some of these people in the past are very, very extreme. Even like we were saying, prominent Jews in the West are speaking up and going, these guys are dangerous. So my point is just Biden says, hooray, looking forward to working with you, buddy. 
And just to remember, this is what Al Jazeera was just saying days ago. UN chief warns of far-right white supremacy threats in the West. I mean, do we not realize how silly this is? And to Antonio Guterres said the greatest terrorism threat in the West comes from the extreme right, neo-Nazis and white supremacy, as this government is funding them right now in the open in Ukraine. And the chief ally of this government is Israel. And they are nothing if not openly fascist at this point. And what are they saying? That the threat is coming from you if you wear a red hat? I mean, my God, this is absolutely transparent. They have lost control of this. It's just narrative right now. Now, if you want to read this article, I highly recommend you do. Robert wrote an excellent article on the 29th. New extremist Israeli government is openly fascist. There's a lot of important things to read in here. The main point they made last time is just that they're doubling, tripling down on the nation state law that literally says this is the nation state for the Jews and the Jews alone. There are Israeli citizens that aren't Jewish that live in that country and they're going, you don't count anymore. And now they're saying the Jewish people have an exclusive and indisputable right to all areas of the land. I mean, this is in dispute across the board, especially today. It is occupied Palestine. There's not some, you can't, we can't keep pretending this juvenile game that this was somehow given to them by God when there was an agreement made between governments. This is, a, this is ridiculous. And on top of that, there was multiple areas. There was a discussion. There was a whole history class to be had here. The point is, this is not what it looks like. And there's plenty of Jewish, Orthodox, and otherwise people that are calling out the Zionist regime for what it is. Now, I'll show you some examples of that. The great article that I recommend you read. Here, first of all, is just a quick video someone shared. And this is this is a, an occupied East Jerusalem's Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood that Robert's written a bunch about. Just just search for Sheikh Jarrah in Last American Vagabond. You'll see it. It's horrific what's happening there. But just watch this disgusting clip. Now, you, you, you'd be called a conspiracy theorist on Twitter or elsewhere if you argue that these settlers are just stealing their homes. That no, no, they're doing this and it's against the law. And no, what's happening is these people were displaced, as in the UN and anybody honest can point out, long time, what, 1946, if I remember correctly, and going forward. And the point is that since then, they were put somewhere else. They made homes. And now they're going back and saying, guess what? You don't have, an, you don't have a, a, a permit to be there. You know, the place that they put them. And then the point is, if the ones, the people that try to get permits for these areas, and they have been for 10, 20 years, they just keep turning them down. Then they swing in and go, you're not allowed to be there. We're going to kick you out again. And guys, this is easy to prove. And, they're, and the point is, if you only listen to the U.S. government, you'll be lied to. Because what the Israeli government is telling you right now is that they don't have a right to be there. Not that there's some legal dispute. They're saying, you're, this is just for Jewish people. That's it. And these are the Zionists speaking, right? Not all Jewish people. That's the point. The Zionists are using this to manipulate people that are Jewish. And that's what a lot of Orthodox Jews are making very clear today. And I, play, I think I just played that clip the other day. Let me play this real quick, then I'll op- upload that clip again and show you where, you know, where there's an entire class of, of uh, what was it? In, I think it was in New York. I forget where they were just saying, look, this is the Zionism does not represent world jewelry. It's, it, it's basically something that's happening because of the Zionists. Now, watch this clip and see that this guy is saying, you know, she's going, you're stealing my home. And he goes, well, if I didn't, somebody else would. That's the mentality. So it's OK to do this horrible thing because, well, if I didn't, some other illegal settler is going to do it, so I'll take it. You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no one, no one uh, is allowed to steal it, Yami. Sounds like they know each other. That's the, hor- that's the sad part. Jacob, you know this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. 
So what's the problem? What are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And what he's saying is because they got kicked out. Right? So you, so you forcibly remove somebody from a home they built. And what you're saying is because the government said, so he just, it's playing dumb. It's like, well, I don't make the laws. The government, so, you know, it's, it's accepting fascism, authoritarianism. But you, it's you, easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. You are stealing my house. Sheikh Jarrah is home to 3,000 Palestinians, many of whom are descendants of people who were forced out of what is now Israel during the ethnic cleansing in 1948. It was, I said 46. Israel has been ordering the evacuation of Palestinian families who lived in Sheikh Jarrah for generations. All these are illegal, guys. The UN and everybody else have maintained these displacements, these forced, these settlements are illegal. And they keep doing it. And now remember, and that's one thing Robert covers, they're now trying to do this in the West Bank. Not just more settlements, which are also against the law, but actually annexing the rest of, I mean, all of it. Nobody anywhere outside of Israel, other than the supporters blindly of Israeli policy, I think that's legal. It's blatantly against the law. And then they, the U.S. government just lets it happen. Total of 58 Palestinians, including 17 children, are right now under threat. Forcibly displaced to make way for Jewish settlements. Palestinians are, are calling for to save sheep draw on social media. You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else can steal it. Just sad. Just sad. And then, oh yeah, I was going to try to grab that clip. If I still have that up somewhere. And this was the school. I'm not seeing it up. There it is. So you can see it's a state of, quote, Israel does not represent world Jewry. And they all have the Israel flag with a cross through it on their back. These are Jewish kids and a Jewish teacher and a Jewish classroom. I mean, it's just it's 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 ridiculous to pretend that only what the Israeli Zionist government says represents Jewish people. And this is the game that's being played. We are being lied to, guys, as usual. So these people are being displaced from their homes over and over and over. There's nothing about this that makes it OK. Now, there's an article that was shared with me by uh, Vanessa Bealey, and this is a really interesting article. This is written by the Peace Pirate. Netanyahu is the godfather of modern Israeli fascism. December 27th. Israel's next Netanyahu-led coalition government may be the most extremist in all its history. Now, people are reflexively quick to push back on this, but listen to this, and the source links are here. Okay, There are people in history who are aligned directly with the Jewish uh, uh, history and the Israeli government who have spoken up and said, that what's happening there and what's happening now is akin to Nazism. And that's not, you can, you can already get all you want. I'm not saying that I do. I see the similarities for sure, but there's, these are people that are saying this who have been there, lived it and are part of this society. Now it says, but all these warnings appear to fall on deaf ears as Netanyahu charts a path back to premiership in coalition with Israel's fascist parties. He dismisses concerns over the potential demise of Israel's democracy and its worsening reputation in the West especially in the United States, insisting that when it comes to the future of the Jewish state, it is he, Netanyahu, who will have the last word in Israel as in America. It's probably true, but it's not reassuring. It's catastrophic. 
Washington has thus far remained largely silent, even as several prominent American Jews spoke against the fascist menace that emerged in in the Israeli ballot box. Rather than addressing concerns directly, the Biden administration spinelessly suggested that it would judge Netanyahu's next government, quote, based on its policies, not personalities. You see the hypocrisy? Do they do that with anybody else? Right. And it's the it's the opposite whenever they want it to be. Right. Do they do that with the next Iranian president? No, they point to the history and they point to the past. They look at what they believe, and what they've done. Well, yeah, because it matters. Both of them matter. That's the reality. Same thing with Russia. All they point about is a bunch of Soviet Union fear mongering concepts and say Putin's everything we say. Maybe right? the point is, it's all it's based on what they're doing, what they have done and their personality and their policies. And it's just absurd. So Biden is literally staring in the face of open fascism and going, well, we'll wait and see <laughs> while we arm Nazis over here in Ukraine. In his autobiographical monstrosity, BB My Story, Netanyahu, which is part of its part self-aggrandizement, part propaganda and part fascist manifesto, Netanyahu dick- dedicates a chapter to his late father, uh, Benzion. He boasts of his record as a leading voice in the militant revisionist movement. Revisionist fighters who eventually founded Lucid's pre- predecessor, Hurit, were infamous for their terrorist operations before and during the 1948 War of Independence. That year, a number of leading Jewish voices, including Albert Einstein, Hannah Ardent. I believe I've seen that name for it. Pronounce that incorrectly. Let me in the chat. Ardent and others described the Hurit party found tied directly to Netanyahu's father in a public statement published in the New York Times as a, quote, political party closely akin to its organization, methods, political philosophy, and social appeal to Nazi and fascist parties. That's Albert Einstein framing Netanyahu's father's party, which led to where he is today and the same party as (laughs) akin to Nazi fascist parties. Now, that's just because he said it doesn't mean it's true. But the point is, it's not some flimsy conspiracy theorist concept. People in history have pointed to these same entities and what they and their connections to what they are today and said that these are fascist. It's father, like father, like son, as preached by his father's revisionist guru, Vladimir Jabotinsky, in his infamous 1923 essay, The Iron Wall. Netanyahu also believed that Zionism must use military force to persuade Palestinian Arabs to give up their rights to their homeland. Netanyahu entered into politics with this conviction and slowly built himself up as the father of modern Israeli fascism. Once he became prime minister in 1996, he started grooming a new generation of fascist and racist leaders. Now you can go through and talk. There's plenty of examples of the people we're talking about. You've heard of most of them. Netanyahu has also cultivated close relationships with Israel's two main ultra religious parties, ultra being the the operating important word, Shah's and United Torah Judaism, as well as religious Zionism, by the way, all of which are extreme groups which seek authority over religious, educational, and social affairs in the Jewish state. Now they will get everything they ever wanted and more. Now think about this concept, guys. Right now, what they're framing in Iran as the problem is the fact that there is an autocracy, that the, that the religious aspect has more too much influence over policy. This is 100% that. Authority over religious, educational, and social affairs in the Jewish state, led by people that are ultra-religious parties. Extremist sense. Why is it okay here? Oh, because we're it's aligned with Christianity, so we're okay with that. So it is really rooted in racism. That's fantastic. Now it says, in return, is his new extremist partners have agreed to use their parliamentary majority to curtail the role of the, ju- the judicial branch and end the Supreme Court's oversight over the Knesset. 
the part, the part. So what's interesting here is you probably see this coming. Don't forget what Netanyahu's been going through. Right? The guy's three steps away from prison. And guess what now is going to happen? His, 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 his influence over the, the judicial branch, it, will, it says it will not only allow Netanyahu to tighten his grip over the country, but also help him escape legal accountability following his indictment on charges of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. Fantastic. And he just got elected for the sixth time. These parties have already used their Knesset majority to pave the way for the head of Shah's party, Ariad Diri, to become a minister despite his conviction for bribery and tax evasion. I mean, my God, if you can't see the overlap between this and what's going on in Ukraine, then you're not paying attention. They are also driven by an avowed racism towards the Palestinians, who they view as interlopers in their promised land. Indeed, the new Netanyahu-led government vehemently opposes the establishment of a Palestinian state, supports the expansion of illegal Jewish settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories, strives to annex part, if not all, of the West Bank, and denies equality to the native Palestinian minority in the Jewish state. It will demand that the Palestinians admit their historic defeat and recognize the Jews' exclusive ownership of the country in order to live in peace, which I argue is not even on the table for what we're talking about. If, if, I mean, the bottom line would be we're going to pretend that if you just give up everything, we'll live in peace, and then something else will happen next because they are aggressively racist, bigoted towards Palestinians. Much of this was predicted by the late Professor Zeef Sternhill, a Holocaust survivor and Israel's foremost authority on fascism, who explained in his 2018 essay titled In Israel, Growing Fascism and the Racist Akin to Early Nazism, that these fascists, quote, don't want to physically harm Palestinians. I disagree with that. They only wish to deprive them of their basic human rights, such as self-rule in their own state and freedom from oppression. Though... The appointment of sadistic Ben Gavir as Minister of National Security is about wishing the Palestinians physical harm. So we have Albert Einstein historically pointing at his father's party, saying that these are fascist, Nazi-akin tactics. Then we have a late professor, Zeev Sternhall, a Holocaust survivor, the foremost authority on fascism, who is pointing at the growing fascism in you, Israel, of 2018, akin to early Nazism. How do you ignore stuff like this? You choose to. It's just that simple. Now, this is an important clip that I think we should play here, even though this seems like it's going to be a long show today, so buckle in. This is important, because here is a member of parliament from Ireland reading this out. I think this was 2018, in fact. Good timing, because this is written about 2018. Reading what they say, and at the time, what the U.S. was telling U.S. listeners was the exact opposite. This is the Defence Minister, Moshe Yalom, uh, talking just a couple of weeks ago. Israel is going to hurt Lebanese civilians, to include kids of the family. We went through a very long discussion. We did it then. We did it in the Gaza Strip. We are going to do it in any round of hostilities in the future. That's the Defence Minister. Uh, this is the uh, uh, Military Chief of Staff, Benny Gantz. The next round of violence will be worse and see this suffering increase. He headed up the military assaults uh, on Gaza, the last uh, two. This is the Minister for Education in the Netanyahu government. There will never be a peace plan with the Palestinians. I will do everything in my power to make sure they never get a state. They lie to you about that every time. If you catch terrorists, you simply have to kill them. I've killed a lot of Arabs in my life, and there's no problem with that. Uh, this is the Minister for Justice. Palestinians are all enemy combatants. This also includes the, mother, the mothers of the martyrs, 
They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they, are, which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. That's the Israeli Minister for Justice in the last few months. The Israeli Minister for, uh, Deputy Minister for Defence. Palestinians are beasts. They are not human. Uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs. C.P. Hotley, this is the last one. My position is that between the sea and the Jordan River, there needs to be one state only, the state of Israel. There is no place for any agreement of any kind that discusses the concession of Israeli sovereignty over lands conquered in 1967. The official statements of several ministers of the current government of Israel, in one case actually advocating genocide of all Palestinians, including children, and calling them snakes. Now, can I ask you, Taoiseach, uh, do you not think that if we're defining terrorism, that is the language and thinking of terrorists? That it is absolutely unacceptable in civilized politics, in civilized international relations, for the heads of government of a state that we carry on normal relations with and who you met in Paris to advocate those sort of views when we know they have also led on to the deaths of thousands of Palestinians, uh, innocent men, women and children. What have you to say, Taoiseach, about those sort of views being expressed by the Israeli government? Absolutely nothing. But Taoiseach being the, the leader, prime minister, whatever the, the relevant, the equivalent would be somewhere else, it's just it's just mind-blowing. It's the same stuff some of those people are currently involved in the government today. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous how obviously they're not what they what the U.S. government pretends they are. This is aggressive, aggressive ra- uh, bigotry, racism, everything against the Palestinian people. Now, I guarantee you throughout this process that that has been reciprocated because of how this has been built. The point is it doesn't ultimately matter when we're talking legalities. But the U.N. has always maintained that it's an occupied territory. Therefore, according to the Geneva Conventions, they literally, verifiably have a right to armed rebellion. So it doesn't even matter. I make this point every time. It doesn't matter who started, who fought first, who shot first. Right now, the Palestinians have a legal international right for armed rebellion because they're under an illegal occupation. That has never changed. So the back and forth about who shot the rocket for it doesn't they are under illegal occupation. They live in Gaza in an open air prison. It is obscene to pretend this is anything other than what it looks like. So what next is to realize how that overlaps with the exact same thing in Ukraine. Now, you can't miss this, guys. Here is a great article from the Electronic Intifada. Israel helps Ukraine whitewash its Nazis. December 23rd. Now, this there's a whole bunch in this article you should read. I just wanted to read you the one part. And then there's a lot in here that you should overlap. Most of this you already know, though. We've gone over in a gr- in very deep, repeated fashion what the Azov movement is long before most anybody was even talking about that. You remember, we, there's a whole body of work over there about every single aspect of this going all the way back to Project Aerodynamic and where I think it really began. So if you want more, read it. It's a great article, but it just repeats what we're getting into. Some new points you might not have seen, but that these people are obviously neo-Nazis, fascist, and straight-up Nazi people tied directly back to Nazi ideology, like Michael Lebed, who found, began Operation Aerod- Project Aerodynamic. Now, this says... Representatives of Ukraine's neo-Nazi Azov movement have been touring Israel to drum up support for the unit's imprisoned fighters. 
I mean, actually, I, sh I forgot to grab this, actually. This is actually ridiculous. So here, how do you make sense of this? Rights groups demand Israel, let's do this first, stop arming neo-Nazis in Ukraine. This is 2018. You know who they're talking about. They actually literally say the Azov militia, okay? So in 2018, it was such a big deal that rights groups were going, Israel, why are you arming neo-Nazis? So today, those same neo-Nazis in the Azov movement are now touring Israel. Can you explain that? Like, I don't, I mean, even if you pretend, I mean, what are you going to argue, that they're different? I mean, even the corporate media has been forced to admit that, yeah, that's still happening. 30 seconds before this all began on the 24th of February, every one of these outlets were screaming about the neo-Nazi problem. And suddenly they're not there. Suddenly they're touring Israel. If you can't see the game, then you're not paying attention because Israel and their government are completely involved in what's happening here. Whether that was ultimately entirely to blame Russia and then use that to blame it on people in this country or however else it was going to play out. They're the ones involved with building these same things. They've been touring Israel to drum support for imprisoned fighters. They've been meeting with Israeli politicians. Azov intelligence officer, Ili uh, Samo, Sa, uh, Samoylenko, Samoylenko, was released in a prison exchange with Russia in September. He had been one of the hundreds of Azov fighters who surrendered in May at the end of the long Russian siege in the city of Mariupol, you know, where some of the worst atrocities took place at the hands of these Nazis, neo-Nazis and fascists. Israel values freedom, it says, values strength, Values honor. This is a quote from the Azov movement. So if the Azov movement stands about Israel, what does that tell you? Values freedom and strength and honor. It's the same things that we also value, clearly. Smolenko told the Times of Israel that, quote, he sees Israel and Ukraine on the same side. Well, yeah, I think I do too. The civilized battling and uncivilized, oh, this is really important, actually. He sees Israel and Ukraine on the same side. The civilized battling the uncivilized in a struggle for the future of humanity. Great. So you can see he can't even, even when he's trying to pretend that he's not, these people cannot remove the disgusting ideology from their word, from their mouth. They are, they, even when they try not to, they show you that they're racist. So what they're saying is Russians or specifically Donbass are uncivilized and disgusting. And so too are the Palestinians. He says, we have prosperity, beautiful, prosperous, beautiful civilizations. <laughs> Interesting. And they have medieval cavemen. So what do you call that? So it, so if this was about fight, it's like some kind of, I mean, it doesn't even matter what you frame it as. Anybody who, like right now, if you were to do this against anybody that the U.S. says you're not supposed to do it about, any kind of a war, framing them as cavemen and disgusting, that's exactly what happened with the war on terror. That's exactly what they're doing. Again, what, so is all of Russia, they're all disgusting medieval cavemen? I mean, that's what they want you to think. Or Donbass, for that matter. Or the Palestinians. Like, that is inherently racist and disgusting. And what they're saying is, we're on the same side because we're fighting the uncivilized cavemen for the future of humanity. So their point is, those people need to be gone for the future of humanity. If you're not, they're telling you what they are, even when they're trying to pretend they're not. Before Russia invaded Ukraine in February, it was widely acknowledged the Azov Battalion promoted Nazi ideology. It's just undeniable. This is an agenda, and it's very clear. Now, an interesting point: Zelensky wore a uh, you know the green, the classic green. You can tell him I'm in the military because I wear a green shirt, T-shirt to the Oval Office and to address Congress. But he shows up for Klaus Schwab, 
suit and tie. Suit and tie. Does, it, does this even need comment? <laughs> What's funny is it says it's from 2020. Nonetheless, it's the same point. You gotta love how Twitter and the ones fighting for the truth are using U.S. government data, Snopes, and Wikipedia to fact check what you post. Gotta love that, right? Crazy. The point is, it shows you the difference in how they engage. It says a lot. And don't forget that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and all this are if, if nothing if not immersed in the same agenda. Now, an interesting overlap with this is what I'm convinced was the failed false flag attempt to bring all of this together, January 6th. As I wrote in this article, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA-grown Azov movement. That's important. So what you're going to see here is that this is a overlap, an overlap with the Ray Epps conversation, which I really want people to... It's very interesting to see how this plays out. Now, you remember Ray Epps. Now, the reason I think this connects with the foreign policy point is because I'm, very, I'm convinced, convinced that what was happening there was one of the beginning stages of the initiation to, co- to con- cement this connection. Remember, the Rise Above movement in Charlottesville was the, U- the U.S. arm of the Azov movement. It's on record. The FBI's acknowledged this. It was written in Newsweek. So if that's the CIA controlled, which or at least influenced, and I think it's controlled, then we know that that CIA controlled U.S. arm of that faction was doing things that created this entire beginning of the conversation. The right, right supremacy, alt-right, marching with their tiki torches. Yeah, that was, that, that was the Azov movement. The same ones they're now pretending aren't what they are in Ukraine. Isn't that dumb? I mean, it's so obvious. If they were the beginning of this problem in the United States and the right and alt-right, how is it then that it happens in Ukraine that you don't understand? Same group, same arm, they're connected. It's ridiculous. So the point is, on this point, I think what January 6th was obviously meant to be what they wanted it to be, which would then have initiated the... I, I, my gut would tell me that they were trying to blame this, like we talk, talked about with the, uh, the, the base group out of Russia that's a former U.S. State Department employee, top secret clearance, who suddenly went rogue and is now a white supremacist running a group called The Base, which is the Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda translated to English as The Base. I mean, how stupid. The point is, I think they were trying to set these groups up in order to create a situation where they could blame all of this on Russia influencing the U.S. with white supremacy. And everything fits together, including with COVID and everything else. I've gone into this too deep in the past. The point here is back to Ray Epps and that we now have a breakdown of the discussion where Ray Epps admits that he was involved with this, orchestrated, but then the way he describes it afterward, I think proves, in my opinion, that this is more than it looks like. Because you can argue that his video challenges exactly with what he's saying in this breakdown. Sean Davis says, on the afternoon of January 6th, Ray Epps texted his nephew about the events at the Capitol. Quote, I was in the front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. That's a direct quote. I'll read it to you. But, but which is funny because remember before this they weren't even they, he was the, like the last one they went to get they acted like they didn't know who he was even though he was one of the top people they were looking for at first on that FBI breakdown they just disappeared from that and then in Congress they were like who's Ray Epps we don't know who that is it's everything about this screams manipulation and clumsy so let's look at it for ourselves first oh actually well let's go through no let's go through this first I'll, I'm gonna play this next the Ray Epps thing so we can see what's going on here. So this starts with, now there's more in this, by the way. I really, I hate, why is this even redacted? Why are the people who, or in many cases, the very congressman asking questions is redacted? I mean, everything about this screams dishonesty. 
but it says around 9 a.m., your nephew texts you, you and Jim be safe. And then at 2.12 p.m., so we're talking about January 6th here, and you can understand, you can see them way later than 2.12. It's dark in this picture. At do Involved. Oh, well, actually, that one's January 5th. But you can see in these cases, for instance, at the time when they broke in, even this one. I mean, the point is, guys, that his argument doesn't line up. Let's go through it. And then at 2.12 p.m. on January 6th, you texted back. I was in the front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. Okay. Now, he kind of walks that back in the more of the conversation, but that's pretty interesting, isn't it? This is the exact same time of the video that I just played. Help us understand this text. What did you mean by orchestrate? What did you orchestrate? Answer, I just meant that I got, you have to understand our relationship. Uncle, nephew, we hunt together. We have fun with each other. Do that kind of stuff. What I meant by orchestrate, I helped get people there. Okay, I mean, that might make sense. Well, why then is he the one screaming, tomorrow we're going inside the Capitol, right? Tomorrow. Okay, that's the first part. Let's get that out of the way. So the point is, so you have to understand, guys, knowing what this is, even just a, even just a small protest, you don't just go into the Capitol. There's no peacefully going into the Capitol. That is exactly what they wanted. Right. And the point was that there obviously there's police in the way. So and remember, Ray Epps was right there whispering in the guy's ear before they pushed over that very first barricade. Who knows what he said? But the point here, guys, is that this is not what lines up with what he's saying. Going into the Capitol is is obviously contentious and it's not. Oh, I meant peacefully. No, that's ridiculous. There's no peacefully doing that. You know, that's against that's like saying, let's go march peacefully into the White House. That's not how that works, guys. They wouldn't want you to. So there's no peaceful about it, even though ultimately that's what kind of ended up happening because they, in a lot of ways, let it happen. So people just wandered in. But it says, I just help people get there. And that at that point, I didn't know what they were breaking, that they were breaking into the Capitol. You see, right there, right there. You didn't know they were breaking into the Capitol. This is the first thing. At this point, the 212. So the day before you were going into the Capitol and the next day you didn't know they were doing it? Why is it that simple for us to break down the contradictions? But yet this, I mean, I didn't, we none of us apparently get to see the entire breakdown verbally on video. But I, I wonder why isn't somebody else bringing this up? It says, I didn't, I didn't. And then look, I didn't. Windows had been broken. It's seemingly there's not even everything on here. Whether that's a lapse or a, who knows? I didn't something, blank, 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 windows have been broken. I didn't know anybody was in the Capitol. If I answered him, that means I was on at 12-12. I was on my way back to the hotel room. Okay, so his argument is at 12-12, he was at the hotel room to get his phone. And then that was it. I think that's pretty obvious you can prove that wasn't the case. Now, I forget what the exact, somebody in the chat, if you remember, what was the time that the January 6th momentum started? When they pushed past the barriers and they rushed into the cap? When did that really start? I'd be interested to know if that itself was past 212 because you can prove on video that he was there. So let me know in the chat if you guys remember what the time was when January 6th like really started, that you know when people were pushing in and so on. But it says, so he's claiming 212 he was in his hotel room. I mean, I argue already that this doesn't line up. 
that you didn't know they were in the Capitol, despite you screaming they should go in the Capitol. But he goes, okay. so at this point, the question says you were now away from the Capitol complex. He goes, exactly. Question. All right. And when you say I was in the front with a few others, what time were you referring to? What are you referring to? I was in the front with a few others. I was in the front. (laughs) Great answer. Cool question. I guess I'm just trying to understand. I guess what we would like to understand is why you are telling your nephew at this time. Answer. I was pretty proud that we were all there. I mean, I wasn't proud of some people, but for the majority of the people there, they were pretty peace-loving people. I mean, they were like me. The way he answers this stuff sounds like exactly what they would want a MAGA cartoon character to respond like this, you know, ambiguously and act like the way. And But, you know, smartly, arguably trying to, and this is my opinion, acting like it wasn't what, you know, that we're like to make it give the perception to the average person that he's clearly a MAGA person, clearly didn't know and just kind of fell into, you know, whatever. But the way he answers a lot of suspect suspect points in here. That I argue, I don't know anybody that was in that or there or involved with these groups that would have responded this way. Just my opinion. It says the atmosphere was good except for those people that were trying to take it in a different direction. You mean like the ones screaming, go into the Capitol? Hmm. Question. And the people that were trying to take it in a different direction were these type of people that we were talking to, that you were talking to, to to de-escalate throughout the morning and on on January 5th? Like, so what? So the argument is that, that you're just get you're basically giving them a leading question. Were these the people you were trying to de-escalate? De-escalate? January 5th was nothing if not him yelling, we need to go in the Capitol. What's de-escalating about that? Answer, right. The same type of people on the 5th as well. Interesting. Going back to walking up the platform, I want to make sure I understand. Did you go up like go like this up like the stairs at all? These people are so stupid. There's several levels of that. Yes, I did go up some stairs. Okay, well, that would argue that he was involved, right? It's hard not to see that. Was it the ones under the scaffolding or was it into scaffolding? I never got to go over to the sides. I was in the middle by the scaffolding. That's the big area. I called it the middle because the left side fell and the right side fell and then the middle fell. Okay, question. And you stayed kind of in the middle of the area the entire time? Yeah, he said, I stayed in the middle area the whole time and we carried the guy out. So, it kind of, I mean, what? it doesn't sound like yeah, so, so at least someone in the chat is saying that 1 p.m. is when they approached the Capitol. So if 2.12 is when he left, then he's clearly involved and very clearly at the point to where it was, more was happening. It just There's nothing consistent about this. Uh, it says, does anyone, any member of staff, why is this blacked out? So we don't get to see, it's just weird. Does anyone, any member of staff have any follow-up questions about this message? And then weirdly, Miss, Mrs. Murphy's there. <laughs> this is, I do. I, what is being, it's just so strange. Sir, can you keep talking about the type of people, the people you wanted to take it, who wanted to take it in a different direction? Can you tell me who you thought those people were? Mr. Epps says, I honestly can't. I don't think, which is weird because he then goes on to do that. I don't think, I assumed that they were probably some Antifa. I don't know. I have no clue who they were. So it's interesting. You can prove Antifa were there. In fact, there's a guy on record, on video, saying, we did, we got him, we tricked him. That clearly doesn't matter to anybody (laughs) who's trying to investigate, you know, this farce of the January 6th commission. But to say, I I just, I wonder how this would be if this was, you know, somebody you know for sure is who they say they are and so on. Would they have said that? Or I I don't know. But it seems interesting that this is what they would expect them to do. Mrs. Murphy said, so as... 
you were engaging with them and trying to, as you said, in different moments, get on their side, get on their good side, relate to them, connect to them. You weren't trying to connect to them as fellow Trump supporters, but you were connecting to them. You were trying to connect to them. Can you help me understand that if you thought they were Antifa, how you were trying to connect to them? He says, well, it wasn't mostly trying to connect with them. I was trying to let everybody know I'm upset with the two guys. If, you know, we all have our issues here, but you know how it is. We've got to be peaceful. We've got to do the right thing right, right way. Okay, none of that lines up. He was the one walking around screaming, we need to go into the Capitol over and over and over. So it's like, are we really going to pretend like this commission can't find these videos and compare it to what he's saying and be like, well, this doesn't seem to line up. He says, any other questions? He goes, hey, it's so-and-so. I guess we don't get to find out. If I could just jump in quickly. He says, I work with somebody on the committee staff. (laughs) Why are they redacting their own names? They're involved with this process. We don't get to know who. I think that shows you how dishonest this whole process is. Right? If it's something they want you to know, we get a, you know, Johnny Depp trial, day by day, moment by moment breakdown. This, it's like completely national security. It's just ridiculous. I just want to understand a little bit more your your use of the word orchestrated. It sounds to me like at this point, when you sent this text, you had turned away in part because of seeing some things you didn't agree with and were moving back to your hotel. This is 212. Is that right? Like when you sent this, were you already on your way back to the, from the Capitol? And it basically says, right, basically, because he's, argue, he's arguing he was in the hotel room. That's why he got his phone. And so he was in his hotel room and that was sent. That's his argument. But use the word orchestrate. It's almost like you were sort of talk, taking some ownership, whatever that is. So I'm just trying to understand why that word orchestrate was used because it sounds like you were sort of adopting the whole thing, including the stuff that you were walking away from. I mean, come on, guys. You don't use the word orchestrate without clearly knowing that you are saying, I created this, whether the beginning or what happened afterward. He says, it was me being, how do you say, you have to understand the relationship with my nephew. It's just, yeah. Like, why does that make a difference? It's just, yeah, I took credit for it, but I didn't know what I was taking credit for. Come on, right? So at the very least, you're now admitting that you lied to your nephew because you wanted him to think that you were involved with starting what happened, As you, which means while he walked away, he's seeing the violence. And then he goes back on the phone and goes, yeah, I took credit for that. How does that line up with what you're saying? If you scroll down on that, it says, you know, later on, did you go into the Capitol? I didn't answer him because I didn't get back on the phone. But I can't believe what I'm seeing, the damage these morons did. You know, the damage that you said go in and he didn't say take damage, but he said go into the Capitol over and over and over. I mean, that's when I found out what had actually happened there. We had this much to see. We didn't see the whole picture where was where I was at. It wasn't that bad. But the guy, except the guys that were trying to orchestrate something different. (laughs) okay, which I do agree was actually happening there. But just the way this is being framed, it does not ring true to me at all. What do you think in the chat? I wasn't talking about the damage and all that stuff. Getting people there. Yeah, I was taking credit for it. I was taking you know, credit for orchestrating the protest. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. But I don't buy it. Question, I see. <laughs> That's a question. That's great. Answer, credit for it. Question, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, interruptions. Excuse me. Not a problem. Thank you. Question, so you were proud of orchestrating the energy, the march to the Capitol. The expression of strongly held views about the election, but not the violent part, the part that made you turn away. It's like they're leading him into the right hand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's an, it's an embarrassment. It's it took away what they did, what they did took away from everything. Who's going to listen to anybody when something like that's going on, even though you called for it? Like the point for me is that they want if the argument that if this if this guy was the Fed, he was being called out for the the game would be to make him look like a normal Trump supporter that just got played. 
right? Like I didn't know what was going on. So at the very least, you he can't be hung with any illegalities. That's why they want to give him the pass. But anybody else, it's not the same game. Like the way they're engaging with him is very different than some basic grandmothers that were just accidentally there. It says, well, it is interesting to me that you watch these videos and you you emerge as a leader. You're there trying to talk to people. Take So right there, you know the videos compared to what he's saying. They contradict each other. No one appointed you or asked you to do that, but you took it upon yourself. Tell me more about those decisions. You see yourself as an orchestrator or a leader? No. I just, I don't, I don't, I know in my mind that I wanted to see, and that was a peaceful demonstration. I wanted our elected leaders to see that we had problems with the election and there shouldn't be any doubt in American lives, American minds about an election. I think we failed or we failed. I think the elected officials failed us because there were doubts in people's minds. There shouldn't be doubt, not like that. Just the way that it's being presented. I just don't, I mean, it, it could, you could very, you could argue that this is, this could very well be exactly what happened. I'm not saying I could prove otherwise, but it's very disconcerting. There's so many things about this that don't line up, that don't seem to line up with the way they engage with other people. On top of the fact that the way I just can't get past the video, I don't know how you align these things. Now I could give you one possibility. Maybe it's because he realized that doing that, maybe because he really did want him to go in the Capitol. Maybe he's just genuinely trying to avoid accountability. That would make sense, but it just doesn't feel genuine the way they engage with it. If that's the case with that video and this was anybody else, these people would be going after him like nothing else because one, they want to go after every Trump supporter clearly. And two, that's what the whole thing is about. So why is this guy being given like leading questions on wait, how to avoid getting in trouble? I th- I mean, look, you, there's, I was going to go further to page 68. There was a bunch more in here, but overall, it just doesn't make sense to me. And there's more and more reference that, that challenges this. The challenge is that there was obviously promotion of the opposite of what he says that he was trying to accomplish there. Now, let's, let's watch this. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. Okay, right there. So you're going to be arrested if you say it. What do you think that means, guys? That means he's well aware that he's not calling for a peaceful anything. If you think you're going to be arrested, then you're there you go. I mean, there is no denying that. That's They are willfully ignoring this example. I, my honest opinion, guys, I think it's pretty damn clear this guy was an agent provocateur. My opinion. We need to go... We need to go in Shut the fuck up, Boomer. to the Capitol. Face right. Fed posting? <laughs> we need to go into the Capitol. I didn't see that coming. Okay. We are going to the Capitol where our problems are. It's that direction. Great. So here he is happily orchestrating it. Let's follow me. We might get arrested. Come this way. Really? I mean, who doesn't understand what that is? All right, no, Dave, but one more thing. Can we go up there? No? When we go in. Are we going to get arrested if we go up there? You don't need to get shot. Can arrest us all? See? There you go. So whatever time this was right here, I'm interested to know, was this was this after or before 212? If it's that easy to prove that he was not where he said he was, I would find that pretty interesting. I probably just probably put before it, but very interesting nonetheless. The point is he whispers in this guy's ear. 
And then he and a few others are the ones that really initiate this. I mean, look, look at the ominous timing. I mean, even that, the timing of the way he whispers something and then it all kicks off. I mean, it could just be coincidence, but come on. Like, there, there's no real investigation if none of this is being addressed. Oh, my, oh, look at that. There he is going up the stairs. Now, I think he did say that. I think he did say that. But regardless, this doesn't seem to align personally. Let's not forget that both those stair there's areas that were blocked right there where, where police were hurt. Not incredibly severely, I don't think, if I remember correctly, but they but they were, you know, knocked over and you know, whatever else. And the point is that this is not what lined up with what he just said. I mean, it's just transparent and stupid. Now, as Jimmy Dore points out, the lady doth protest too much, methinks, which is a you know, I think it's Shakespeare, it's a classic, you know phrase that means basically that you know somebody's overly vocal about defending a certain point it kind of suggests that there's something there right that it's the opposite of the case or you know that like just watch you'll see what i mean when he, the guy speaks up so aggressively about something else it's it's suspicious that there's something there and i think it's funny it's exactly what i would think too the way that this guy freaks out about this in response to something pretty benign it speaks volumes mr epps was in front of the january 6th committee and we were told that a transcript of his interview would be released, but it's never been released. And I wondered, was he sworn None in? of the transcripts have been released, so you don't need a conspiracy theory about that. We haven't... Okay, just real quick, just to point out. So all he said was that the transcripts haven't been released, which they eventually were. This is my point about... This is what's happening online, and we'll get to it next. Like, did he say that there was a conspiracy? No, even if he does think that, you don't know that. You To assume right over the top of him... That you went, you already know what he's getting at. Like that's ignorance, guys. That is subjective ignorance. You are just you may be right, but you don't know that. And why, the way he just rips into this whole thing afterward, that's what was on his mind. Not what necessarily Tom Thomas Massey might have been going there. The point is, he just simply going. Where's he wants to see this because we have a right to see it, and he does have questions here because he's made it clear. But let me just watch again. In front of the January sixth committee. And we were told that a transcript of his interview would be released, but it's never been released. And I wondered, was he sworn None in? of the transcripts have been released, so you don't need a conspiracy theory about that. We haven't well, released any of them. Were you present theory? when he was interviewed? That would give me... No, some. I was not. I was not. We've done more than a thousand interviews. You guys are trying to make this poor schmuck who showed up to your protest into something a lot bigger than he is. Your protest. Okay, he's just trying to survive, and he's on your side. You don't have many voters left. You might want to try to hang on to them without demonizing and vilifying your own people. But that's the Donald Trump way. Still going. Sell everybody else down the road. Still going. Unless you're going to get a pardon. Some people are still hanging around waiting for their pardon. Still going. But... Most people have opened their eyes about what he's done to our country. Okay, so now we're on a whole tirade about Trump. <laughs> How do we even get there? What he's done to his family. Have you guys ever read the book by Mary Trump? Wow. About the way that Donald Trump has absolutely destroyed their family? I wonder if this keeps up at night. Wrecked her father's life? They do it to family. They do it to friends. They do it to their own associates and employees. And now you, you guys are doing it to this poor Ray Epps. Leave that guy alone, whoever he is. Right. I yield back to <laughs> who, 
Leave that guy alone, whoever, whoever that guy is that we don't totally know at all completely. You're wrong about something you didn't even say. Move on. Like, it's just, that's what it looks like to say. He pro, he, she she protest or what's the, what's, what is the saying? The lady doth protest too much, methinks. She's just like, whoever, whoever that guy is, you know, the thing I, the guy's name I just literally said. Like, that is the most clumsy, transparent example of exactly what that statement is meant to represent. So the point being, that guy likely, if you're reading into it, knows he's FBI, and this was this aggressive, over-the-top, swinging arms in the air, tirade about how you're credit Trump's bad, and just to hide that point, that's what that looks like. I mean, come on, guys, that was pretty bad. I, and again, I'm not going to assume that that's what it means, but it's the, whatever he was doing there was really weird and over-the-top and uncomfortable. And you just swung out of the I mean, conspiracy theories and Trump and hurting people. He's your guy on your team and your protest. Nasty's over there going, gee, I've just asked a basic question. And the point is that it's always divisive. It's always your team and those guys. And really? So was, did Thomas Massey create the protest? Right? Was it his game? I mean, it's just so ever, they're always about divide and conquer. They always try to keep it to the, the lowest common denominator. Now, all that aside, I think what's happening on Twitter right now is a huge part of this game that's being played to where people don't ask for this information. They don't want the video. They don't want the source material. They don't want the peer-reviewed science that shows these things. They just want to be told what to think. And it's very concerning to me. Very concerning. Now, I have a tweet here that I wanted to go over, and in no way was this meant to be an uh, indictment or an attack on Dr. Malone at all, in fact. I was just adding on to what he said to make a point. And what's funny about this, now, I'm not, I want to go through this, simply because it's, this is not even about the, some people get frustrated when I go through these Twitter back and forth, because I agree, most of these things are pretty damn meaningless and a waste of time. But I really want you guys to see what I see with this, and how genuinely alarmed I am that people, and this, one of these people in here at least claims to be a very intelligent person with all these degrees and so on, and, and yet is still just in a very, very subjective way, assuming and jumping and attacking just because of what I said right here. Because they have already assumed that anybody, in my opinion, that is not already on board with this is whatever they fill in the blank with in their mind. Or left-wing, Fauci-supporting, whatever. So it's just really interesting. So Dr. Malone says, the Fauci files to be released later this week are going to be very interesting. And I, I agree with that. I completely agree. As I even say in this tweet when I respond, I said, are they going to be actual files or selectively chosen screenshots? Either will be interesting. All right. So at the very least, I even agree with what he just said. But you see, you're not allowed to challenge the Twitter files right now. You can't say that because you will get mercilessly attacked by literally everybody. It's very interesting to me, which, by the way, if you guys, those that are, you know, students of how this stuff goes for the last 10, for as long as you've been alive, it, you know that when you get these wildly emotional, over-the-top responses like this for very benign statements, that's pretty good indication there's something going on. All I said was, are they going to be actual files or selectively chosen screenshots? Either will be interesting, but only one constitutes, quote, files and source material. Still don't get why so few are willing to point this out. That was not even directed at Malone. I'm just using his statement and his reach to make a point here, which a lot of people agreed with. Now, just quickly want to go through this just to show you what I'm thinking or what I see. So this first person says, and some of these are interesting comments that, I, you know, they're, there's a bunch of stuff here. Releasing huge files on Twitter misses the point. This is not a website for hours of analysis. Now, I actually agree with that. 
Highlights have to be easier to consume. Supporting data can be huge files. So that's a pretty fair statement. And I said, do both. Solved. Right? Like, why are we talking about an if and if or and or if, uh, what's the statement? Uh, you know, if, uh, either or situation. Like, why are we acting like it has to be one or the other? The reality, and by the way, just so we can see these things constantly trending right now. What's, uh, what's interesting is all they would have to do was dump all the information and then do what they're doing. So at the very least, people that are honestly engaging with this can go through and confirm that what they screenshotted was exactly what was there. Because who knows? I don't know why we just assume that. They could be lying. They could be mistaken because we don't have that full body. That, I mean, it could be just a 1% possibility, but you still have to admit it could be, but nobody wants to do that because they've chosen to trust these people already. And that makes them feel stupid or, or what? I don't know, that they want to lash out to anybody going, what about the rest of it? You're a lefty anti-vaxxer or what not anti-vaxxer, I'd be pro or whatever. <laughs> it just attacks. The point, though, is that this is what they promise they're going to do next. So my point continues to be that these are interesting. Most of this, you already know if you watch this show or plenty of other independent media, a point I'll make in a, next in a minute is, you know, the idea that the government was influencing social media to censor. It's like, <gasps> gasp. You mean the thing that's been going on for as long as it's been here that we all seem to know? And now because Twitter files states that and gives you a screenshot, we go breaking news. We know what we've already known. Now, I'm not trying to diminish that this stuff is valuable. If and when the source material is released, what I am trying to point out, though, is that we are being trained. Let's just go ahead and say while this is important and while this is true, we are being trained to only go through an intermediary and not acknowledge the source material or care about it. In fact, assume that it's there and then therefore engage with it as if it's already been proven because I what? Because Elon Musk, Matt Tybee. I mean, you pick your flavor. It's just trust, faith. That's all it is. And he says, yep, both are needed. Otherwise, people ask for the proof. Now, I agree, because that's actually the main point. It's not that we have to necessarily say these things are fake because there's no source material. That's a possible possibility. It's, it gives people the room, the air in the conversation, the room to be able to say, well, I, there's no source material, so I'm going to pretend it's not real or I'm going to say it's fake. And you know what? As frustrating as it is to me, I have to go, well, it certainly could be. And then you get hated on by everybody because one, you're not blindly agreeing that it's fake and you're not blindly agreeing that it's real. And so everybody hates on you, even though it's the only actual objective stance in the conversation right now. And I'm not trying to say me. I'm saying there's plenty of people out there that acknowledge the same point. But some people at least acknowledge that, yes, so the left in this case are going to dismiss whatever's shown here because of that exact point, even though the, weirdly they're not pointing at that. I think that shows you that this is the main point. They're just using their conspiracy theorist argument and saying Frank news and whatever else because they don't agree with it. Now, this person says, oh, the Fauci will survive file. I mean, I'm not sure what he meant by that, but I said, I sure hope not. <laughs> I kind of think a lot of people take this as I am a lefty that disagrees with all of this because I'm simply asking for source material, as you'll see many of these. This says screenshots are still files. Not even close. So simple. It's simply not true. Now, I didn't say they're not important or couldn't be valuable as long as you have the source material to compare it to, right? But the point is they're not files. It's just a screenshot, right? It is, it's, it's the analogy I used before. It's as if I take a screenshot of my TV of while watching a videotape old school i'm just making an old vcvhs and i send you that screenshot and i say here's a file well it's, it's information but you only get one stale screenshot one scene of an entire tape 
Now I could explain to you what's on that tape and you could assume that's the full picture. Or you could look and have the video in your hand and look at it for yourself. That's the difference. Mr. S says, yes, it's much better to release nothing and let the New York Times tell us what we need to know. See my point? I mean, this is wild to me. Now, I think, believe this is the guy who's saying he's super smart. Now, let's just pretend that he is. I said, so those are the only options? Now, admittedly, <laughs> I get frustrated when you get bombarded with these people, and I'm weak in this place like anybody is when you, I, I, I like, for instance, I, right after you send these and you look back and you're like, ah, I could have been more, uh, what's the word? compassionate, I guess, and hope to open their minds to certain things. But, you know, it frustrates me sometimes. And I'm, I fall short like anybody else. And I say, don't be so willfully ignorant, which is what that is, if you want my honest opinion, because you're assuming you know my opinion, even though there's no reason you should. Or you could look at my time, my, my account and realize very quickly that it's, what, to argue that I would want that is just stupid. But I said, and stop assuming. Where did I say any of that? How you care, had you cared to look, this is not about whether I agree with what is being released. It's about what it's about being trained to not care about the source material, case in point. I'm not asking us to wait or to do nothing or to wait for the New York Times. Why is it mutually exclusive? We should release all the information and then do it. Simple. But he said, sorry, I didn't know you were the expert trainer. I will be do better about respecting my betters in the future. It's just a strange response to what I said. I know it's because I said that. That's why. When I said, nice deflection, make it about me. Being wrong happens. Own it. He said, my IQ is 140. I have a law degree from Yale, a master's degree from Harvard. Very strange response. And two bachelor's degrees. You? <laughs> it's like, what that even matters? What does that have to do with anything? I said, wow, so claiming to have degrees makes you immune to making a mistake or owning one. I don't think you realize how ridiculous and hubristic that comment was, unnecessarily so. And I put this in because I just read Jimmy Dore's tweet. The lady doth protest too much, methinks, because the same point. Like, what? It's a crazy, I'm kind of suggesting that might not be true. But I, he said, friend, this is Twitter. Some of us have survived purges and multiple stints in Twitmo, you know, being censored in order to make this place what it is. I guess apparently not being aware that I'm probably one of the most censored people on Twitter. Maybe you should learn from experts like me and have some class and discernment when engaging with a superstar instead of being a cotton-headed mini-muggins. So the point, assuming that I'm attacking Malone, assuming that I've never been censored, assuming that I don't care about any of that, assuming... That I, that I, I guess I just blindly uh, take his word because he says he's an expert. Well, that's exactly what we're trying to avoid, isn't it? I said, priceless. If you only knew my point is about Twitter. Malone does. I've interviewed him twice. Actually, I might've been only once. If I, I forget, but I said, I highly respect him, which by the way, you know that I'm skeptical of anybody that comes from where they come from and other reasons as well, but I do respect his work and what he's been doing. And I said, why would you assume otherwise? I have been censored seven times, whole accounts on Twitter, all for exposing exactly this. For one so smart, not sure why you assume so much. All I'm asking is for transparency from Twitter, as anyone on it should. Without the source material, this will never be accountability, and I think that's important, which is what I want for all the COVID manipulators. Anything else you assume onto this is on you. It's just wild, which didn't respond. So I think at least he was like, oh, maybe that's not what I thought it was. Either way, guys, if we don't have the source material, this will never become accountability. All it will be is one side arguing with screenshots, even if it's true, probably the designed so it won't be accepted, and the other side gets to go fake news or dismiss or whatever else. And the people like Fauci and the ones that are being exposed, which otherwise would already be exposed in a different way if it wasn't through Twitter, nothing happens, like always. And the problem is that we end up 
being stuck between these people lost in the two-party paradigm, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth, and these things continue. This person says, in my opinion, there are multiple reasons for people not doing this. First and foremost is, as you pointed out, people don't see the difference between pics and full email headers or full documents with metadata. And I think that's part of the game. We've been engineered, you know, sort of like Twitter and TikTok engineered people to be their attention spans went down. They were engaging less. They weren't thinking in long term. Same thing. Also, many just want to poke the system enough to get elevated by it and donations from everyone else. I agree with that, sadly. Reinhardt says, always a group waiting breathlessly for the big reveal. Great, great point. Right? We just want a savior in these games, and it drives me crazy. We got to wait for the next big thing. Do it yourself. Take the, take the initiative. The information's already there. Now, yes, there's probably some valuable stuff back there. And I guess we'll have to wait to find out because screenshots don't do it for me. Odette says, my thoughts as well. Simon says, good point, well made. Lennart says, yeah, I, I doubt we will see any real source material as this doesn't seem like it's driven by an incentive of revealing truth or holding actual perpetrators accountable. I agree. Rather, it seems as if the goal here is to add fuel to the fire. S- spot on, because we are being divided by this, even if it's true information. Like that's, I almost want to just get past and just be like, let's just pretend everything is 100% accurate. I almost find that to be irrelevant now with how this is being used. Nail on the head, it says. Now this says no source material because there will be no one held accountable. It is the right's turn to gatekeep and carry water for the COVID narrative Overton window. See, there are some people out there that can disconnect themselves from the two-party paradigm. It doesn't mean they're necessarily right. They could be wrong. But it, it, it seems like it makes much more sense to how this has been done before. This person says, pretty hard to put files out on Twitter. I, and, and as somebody that you can read those for yourself, the point is that's not true. It's happened numerous times over the years. It's just a link. It's, it's a file. But this person says, the real question is, are you capable of looking at anyone, anything without bias to the outcome? No, eh, you know, again, I kind of assumed that was leading. <laughs> Who knows? But the point is, it's about pretending or assuming that I'm a certain way because I'm just going objectivity. Where's the source material? And that automatically becomes attack. Think about how crazy that is. How long have I been saying uh, they are framing objectivity as extremism today? That is a top-down, left-right agenda. As I said, no one is. If you think you have no bias, then you are the most egregious category of bias, which is anybody. Those who pretend they have none. All we can do is engage with, in, with, with info objectively. That it's, what's hilarious is that the most objective stance possible here is being framed as the opposite. It's not just me. It's anybody who holds his opinion. They're being framed as the one doing something wrong. It's really interesting to me. And he agrees, which I'm, so I, I you know, that was just a posed question. I, I appreciate it. Uh, this one says, are you serious? Right. So just think about the question there. So my point is, will we see the source material? And why are so few pointing out we don't? Are you serious? Somebody who's already bought in the game. Bought, bought into the game. It says, imagine saying selective screenshots like it doesn't make them true and indiscrim- incriminating. Denial is the first phase of mental illness. See the point? I said, imagine assuming and getting it wrong. One, I never said they were untrue. You're completely missing the point, which seems likely happens to you often. See, again, I get frustrated. Two, I never denied any part of this. It is about being trained to not care about source material as you are demonstrating. No response. I don't know how you fight back against that because he clearly thought I was a lefty or whatever else. Selective screenshots don't prove anything. And you can't pretend they're incriminating if you don't have the source material because you could literally fake a screenshot. 
I'm not saying that's what happened, but in actual accountability, let's say a court of law, for example, a screenshot would not do it. Probably the point. This person just responding, showing you some of the garbage that we get to see. Like, it's just, that's not enough. This says, what if these releases were selectively chosen? What's the plausible explanation for coordinating stories with FBI, CIA, DHS? How could you explain Hunter's laptop in their possession prior to New York Post story? Don't use excuses. Use your brain. So much assuming everywhere. And I said, does including your brain include wildly assuming? If so, you must be very smart. <laughs> I am not now, nor have I ever said I disagree with what's being shown. Only that on top of this, we should demand source material. You get the point. Same thing. Because all this stuff, you guys know, we've already talked about. But I guess they just have been trained already to lash out at anybody, even those on their side, who just go, shouldn't we want source material on top of all of this? Selectively chosen, like the January 6th committee. I said, exactly. Show my post, January 6th. The failed, you know, see my point? It's like, they just don't get it. You are the violin player on the Titanic, my friend. Jump off or get ready to get wet. Assuming is an art with many of you. Very sad. So ask for source material means I disagree with what's being shown. How do you square that? Stop jumping to conclusions and realize one can agree with this and expect and demand source material. He says, we are years past assuming. Think about that. So these people have already decided these are absolute facts. That's the problem. We are with facts, logic, and outcomes, minus any personal emotion. If you respect facts, logic, and outcomes, you will eventually be on our table, right? Come on, John. I've built the damn table okay this is frustrating me that these people can act like this but i get it i'm frustrated by it but it says been at the table from the start that's what you all don't seem to get why does asking for source material in only this case get otherwise objective people attacking and assuming if you can't see this issue there then i'm at a loss now i mean there's, there's a few more in here that just get like for instance are you sucking Fauci's b-a-l-l-s <laughs> for the kids listening maybe they probably heard that <laughs> heard he heard he hasn't like, so the response is to childishly attack me. And are you, are you doing something with Fauci because I asked for source material? Like, that is the main point. Showing off to other children, pretending you can read? Why would you respond like that to that statement? Because you think you know what I'm getting at. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You are becoming the very corporate media that you pretend you're fighting. It's very sad. Now, I hope you can see why I went through that, because there's a really important picture, aside from my childish responses, which I should be better than, it's very clear to me how important this is. This is a dangerous psychological operation that is very clearly changing people's perspectives, the way that they engage with this process. And it scares me because if we lose control of this, who knows? And the point is, guys, while that they're attacking anybody asking for source material, it's there's still things happening right now on Twitter that seems to not care, not matter to these people acting like we've already saved the day. Sort of like the Trumps. Remember that? The Trump supporters, when Trump got elected, it was like, the game's over, we won! And anybody challenging anything were suddenly on Clinton's side. Look how that worked out. Look at where we are today. Look at what Trump created, the handed off to Biden. Look at where we are. How did QAnon work out? The reality is, guys, that the same game is being played. Sam Hussein and I had a great conversation about that, that Elon Musk, whether he knows it or not, seems to be playing that role, the digital version. Susan Shelley points out, new column! Revelations from the Twitter files, so screenshots that we haven't verified, or rather don't have source material for, to be specific. Expose, expose the government's pressure to censor scientists and analysts who oppose the prevailing COVID policies. Like, I get it. Specifically showed through screenshot that, like, Jay Bhattacharya, for example, was by name called out. 
Now, assuming we have the source material to prove that is exactly what happened, then that's what does do, do we question that? Didn't we already know that? Didn't we know that through the actual process that we can prove he was right and they censored him anyway? Or the fact that the government was proven to be leaning on these long before the Twitter files ever said that? Why are we pretending the Twitter files is why we know this? Like at the best, you could argue that these prove these people specifically were focused on, but that's not what this says. And that's not what the article says. Just very, very concerning how the Twitter files are being the central play of all this. Now, here's even cat turd of all people. This is today. Twitter is throttling the hell out of conservatives again. Hearing it from everyone. Usually Elon's right there responding. Not this time. I mean, that, that doesn't bode very well. As I didn't, I didn't even expect that. I shared this and said, well, that's an interesting turn. Apparently it is happening. Here's another interesting point. Friend of the show in the chat. He's got censored on Twitter. I, I didn't ask. I don't know if he wants me to tell him to who, tell everybody who he is. But either way, he's a, he's a longtime supporter of the chat. He just got censored on Twitter for the thing you're looking at right there. Oh, I forget his name's right there. So you can see his Twitter file. But it says, unfortunately, now, it honestly, truly, it doesn't even matter what he's responding to. Like, you in your mind, make it the most damaging and concerning you could make it. See, he says, unfortunately, it's mental illness and they're coming for our children. I took mine at a public school. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think this has to do. I honestly don't even know. I would guess it has to do with the trans discussion. Okay, fine. So it's insulting to some people. Is that hate speech? Is that free speech? Well, first of all, we know hate speech doesn't exist. Or at the very least, it's not a crime. They can call it whatever they want. It's under the umbrella of free speech. So it doesn't break the law to say that somebody who is trans is mental illness. Now, I don't necessarily agree that in every context, I do believe very clearly that it's some of it, maybe most of it, but a lot of people out there, you could argue, I'm just it's a conversation to be had. But the point is to pretend that you can't say that it's mental illness and that they're coming for your children as it's very clear the agenda is focused on them and that he took his kid out of school. Understand, that's Elon Musk's Twitter on January 1st censoring them for simply expressing their opinion. Didn't Musk say that if they don't break the law or spam or harass, that they, there you go. This wasn't aimed at somebody who was trans. It was a conversation with somebody else who had similar opinions. Censored. That is Elon Musk censoring hate speech, guys. It didn't change. It never did. I think that's what we need to understand. Now, I shouldn't say it didn't change. Things are different. I got my account back. That's fantastic. But the game is still underway. And obviously... Obviously, it's just flipping. We are on the teeter-totter of the two-party illusion, and it's going the other direction now. That's as simple as that. That's probably because they want to create this illusion that the right and white supremacy and racism is taking over, So they, and they're going to point at everything they can on here. That's what I think is probably likely. But who knows? Dr. Shiva points out the same thing I was saying before. Why is Wikipedia, of all things, it's absurd Wikipedia is used by anybody other than just reference for yourself, while acknowledging it could be all fake and wrong, why is Wikipedia being used for content moderation? We all saw that. It's all being posted underneath tweets, which is new. That's Elon's new thing. Their bias destroys lives and reputations very clearly. This is a step back to Twitter's dark ages. If CEO, if CEO I'd stop this. Will you? Sincerely. No, no response. Oh, I, I, didn't, I forgot I responded. Oh, that's right. I responded to this guy. Well, he says, Wikipedia is used for content moderation because it's, get this, one of the most reliable sources of information on the internet. Wow. 
This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's crowdsourced structure allows it to provide accurate, neutral, unbiased, yeah, unbiased content, as well as quickly updated and changes. LOL. Very incorrect, I said. Colleges won't even let you use it, which is true, as a source, because it's the opposite of what you said, or at the very least can be, and that's not a good source. So think about that in the context of what we're dealing with Twitter files or corporate media, anonymous sources, polling, you know, that they could 50-50 be wrong. It's not a good source, but that's all the government has today. I agree, though. I said crowdsource research is very important and valuable, but can be incorrect and flimsy at times. So it can't be a source like that. So Wikipedia is important in its own right. But we know that it's very politically invested. It's very few amount of people control a huge portion of it. It's it's just not a sound source. And everybody seems to know that except people trying to pretend for political reasons that it's not. Interesting. None of this bodes well for where it's going with Twitter right now. Now, oh, no, that's, oh, I forgot that I had that in there too. Just do it like this. There you go. So here's another interesting point though. And I'll play this clip from World Economic Forum. Wittgenstein points out the number one ESG challenge organizations face data. They need your data from the world around in every possible facet to be able to invest and engage and enforce ESG and sustainable development goals. And they need digital ID and passport style and, and, and central bank digital currencies to really make this happen. But first and foremost, they need your data. Now, where do you think that's coming from? I'll let you simmer on that. This will allow executives, investors, employees, and other stakeholders to see how the company performs on matters that reflect society as a whole, such as climate change and biodiversity, workplace diversity and inclusion, and good governance. And as a consequence, they will help a sea change in the way companies are run and evaluated. capitalism with the goals from society and how do you make it happen and how do you measure that and how do you do it in a way that can consolidate all these measurement systems bring one set of metrics that the big four accounting firms who will hear from the my colleagues and that can endorse and help companies get through and publish so people can judge whether they're making progress because the research shows that companies who don't make progress on ESG goals or SDG goals you tend not to do as well How else can business improve the state of the world? I forgot I wasn't reading this for the podcast. I apologize. Follow our Sustainable Development Impact Summit. The bottom line is all that they're discussing there, and, and, and outline, they need your data to be able to enforce that, period. And the reality is that Elon Musk has made it very clear, and there's been articles written about this, especially since you know they did get some advertisers back, but they lost a bunch of it. 
the overall, though, even before Elon, we always got lied to about what the real motivating factor was. Advertising is huge, but the real profit in any sense today is data everywhere. As even James Corbett wrote a long time ago, data is the new oil. And it has been for a long, they just don't want you to know that because it's your data that they aggressively need. So the reality is, guys, that Twitter is a central player in the game to get your information to be able to make this happen. And that's the overlap is undeniable. Now, on the last part of the Twitter discussion, I just want to make sure you guys remember that on the 7th, uh, on 12, 12 p.m. Central Time, I'll be hosting a Twitter Files conversation, which obviously you can tell is going to be an important conversation about the importance of source material and just get other people's perspectives on it. For all I know, everyone's going to disagree with me. We'll find out. But there's a, I have a bunch of people that have already said they're going to come and some prominent characters and who knows who's actually going to show up. So I reckon, my, I think more than anything, I want just as many average people out there as possible that want to come and have a conversation. So make sure you check this out and we'll be talking about it then. Now to shift over from this, all of this overlaps as always. Don't forget the game being played, the data, the push, the great reset, all of it. The game around the COVID-19 injection. And how that is a central player, remembering Catherine Austin Fitz's discussion in the beginning, which I'll probably play again at the end, talking about how the, the vaccine passport, digital ID, is central to the agenda. And the only way they could get that is using the, so far anyway, they already got climate change stuff coming up, but the idea of how they were playing this with the vaccine passports. Which, by the way, has already been reasonably successful. But what we're seeing now is that because of the independent media, because you care you listening right now, because you care and you fought for this, that we, at the very least, had an effect on slowing this down. And so what's happening now is they're being forced, just like we see with the whole Tucker Carlson, JFK drip of basically, you know, the idea of giving you things to allow you to think that things are changing when all it is is that they know you see through it. So they give you a little bit to hope you stay quiet. It's called a release valve. And Off Guardian had a great article about what Tucker, Carl's, Tucker Carlson's little JFK thing was really about. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's changing. It's just about making you think that he's on your side and giving you a little bit of a gaslit conversation about the CIA being involved, you know, not doing it themselves, which is what actually happened. There's a whole conversation to be had. But this is what things like this, I argue, are about. Not coming out and saying, yeah, fine, you got us. We always knew the variants were being caused by the injections, but just kind of adding some, some ambiguity, which will eventually be used against you in some unknown way. But the, the bottom line is this is the Wall Street Journal. Now, at least asking the question about what was completely unacceptable before. And this goes all the way back to the beginning. So why is it again, guys, again, that we somehow knew this before they did? The same as anything else we're talking about. Scott Adams would want you to believe that we just got lucky over and over and over and over and over and over using peer-reviewed science. But, you know, <laughs> lucky. Same case here. People like Dr. Yeadon screaming about this early on. If Scott Adams had cared to listen to them, then they would know that. Or anybody else that were acting like we were wrong. But this says, are vaccines fueling new COVID variants? This is January 1st. And it says public health experts are sounding the alarm about the new Omicron variant dubbed XBB. Remember, remember when the, right when the bivalent was coming out, we were going, this is stupid because they're already talking about the new variant. And they were all fake news, conspiracy theory. And Fauci's like, you're all wrong. Get it now. Hurry before. And then 30 seconds later, they're like, oh, too late. XBB's here. <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous how consistently and I'm not even it's just anybody who's has some discernment that we continue to show you this before it happens. 
Some studies suggest it is as different from the original COVID strain from Wuhan as the 2003 SARS virus. Well, doesn't that make it sound like it's not even a variant at all? Or maybe not even really there? It could just be a combination of vaccine side effects. Who knows? At this point, it is clear that XBB, they wrote, is is it is, isn't clear. <laughs> I love how they say that. It isn't clear that XBB is any more lethal than other variants. What that means is it's not more lethal, and they just can't say that. They never once have been like, this is less dangerous for you because they're bent on making you scared to sell vaccines or to rather get them in your arms. So when they have provable evidence, which we do, by the way, they know that, that this is less lethal and more transmissible, if you believe that in general, then they could just say that. This is less dangerous. But they don't want to say that. They go, it isn't very clear whether or not it's less. We don't know. Garbage journalism. Growing evidence also suggests that repeated vaccinations may make people more susceptible to XBB specifically and could be fueling the virus's rapid evolution. Yeah, you know who else said this way before we got here? Gert Vandenbosch. Exactly this. Literally. That more vaccine. And by the way, there's already been peer-reviewed studies that have come out and said the more vaccinations you get, the, increase, the more risk, the more chance you get sick, the worse your side effects. Everything. It's all there. And just like this, probably in six months, Tucker or somebody else will say, breaking news, what we were telling you six months ago. Because now it's not important. They're on the next agenda. It's so quickly happening today. The reality, though, is that this is obvious and has been for a really long time. They're making you more sick. There's four different studies, I think, listed in here. All of them peer-reviewed. You can Most of them we've already talked about, by the way, and you can look at them for yourselves. It says, quote, such rapid and simultaneous emergence of multiple variants with enormous growth advantages is unprecedented, right? So the whole argument that it's, well, just because unvaccinated, well, that's not unprecedented at all. There's always unvaccinated. So really what is unprecedented is the gene therapy, mRNA, rapid rush injection plan, right? And then we know that we see the perfect explosion of variants that correlates perfectly with the injection. I mean, guys, this is a no-brainer. Everything on the table points to this, and it always has. They just gaslit and lied to you. And the groups, just like the Wall Street Journal, happily towed the line because that's what they do. For whatever reason, they're giving the go-ahead to do this now. It's unprecedented. Like people like Eden said, we would not be seeing this. Not like this. A December 19th study in the journal Nature notes. It says the same study posits that immune imprinting may be contributing to the viral evolution. Vaccines do a good job of training the immune system to remember and knock out the original Wuhan variant, which I still take issue with that completely. It's sort of irrelevant at this point because we're so far past this, we're told. But again, we're going to get to next, the reality that you've never been in danger from this. The new ionitis peer-reviewed now, re overview, is undeniable. We're talking 0.3 to at most point, or 0.03 to at most 0.07. Infection fatality rate, COVID, from the very beginning. They've always lied to you, and that's one of the biggest points today. <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, they maybe did a good job back then. Like, it's, that's just the common narrative because how in the world can you prove that now? But it says, but when new and markedly different strains came along, remember, this was 2020. This wasn't because the unvaccinated, or rather in 2021, when the injections were being given and the explosion began the moment they started being given to the population. It's pretty undeniable. So when that started, you saw the strains come along. The immune system responds less effectively. The more and more and more, the less and less and less, which is where we are. Then it says, and this gets even better, bivalent vaccines that target the Wuhan NBA5 variants. Oh, wait a minute. You guys catch that? 
the classic longtime viewers out there, tell me you caught what I see right there. Remember how we keep poking at this? These small little factors that I get that just kind of bug me that I can't let go of, like like the appro- full approval versus, you know, those kind of things. That I just can't look at that. Bivalent, which means two, by the way, because, you know, we have a brain. Two. Not Wu, not the original strain BA4 and BA5. No, no, it was always two. Wuhan and BA5. And they just go, well, let's just BA4 kind of two because it kind of has a response. And then all of the media blindly said, it works for all three because they're dumb and they just say what they're told to say. It's just being frustrated about it. I mean, really, what else? I mean, the point is the Wall Street Journal at least has the wherewithal to say bivalent vaccines that target Wuhan and BA5 because that's what they're made to target. I read this in the actual documentation from Pfizer, and that's why I said that. But every media outlet everywhere said the opposite. Think about how dumb and obvious that is. It's just because they just say what they're told. And I think the selling point is important, too, because they want you to think that it fights everything. Prompt the immune system. The bivalent injections prompt the immune system to produce antibodies that target viral regions with the two strains have in common. And that's where they pretend to be a four has an effect, you see, but it's not it's not what was made in there. They just lie to people about that. It's hilarious and very sad. It says mutations that allow the virus to evade common antibodies win out. They make it fitter. Right, so the point is that the more that they add these things, the more things that causes it to change, because when it engages with somebody's normal immune system that has no memory of it, well, it just infects you. There's no need for it to change. In these cases, as all the science pre-COVID tells you, when it has this kind of constant, especially when it's a leaky vaccine where it doesn't, it keeps people ill but doesn't kill them and continues to thrive and spread, that's what makes them historically very clear. XBB has evolved to elude antibodies induced by the vaccines and breakthrough infections. It's pretty interesting that they don't say natural immunity right there, despite everyone trying to shoehorn that in. The reality is all the science continues to show that it has efficacy continually against variants of concern. Now, look, if a new study comes out that shows that something's changed so much that it now doesn't work, then I'll engage with that. But the last one I saw continues to say that up until Omicron, which we're still there, apparently, it continues to make antibodies effectively lasting durable robust to variants of concern including omicron so they say right there xbb has evolved to elude antibodies induced by vaccines and breakthrough doesn't seem natural immunity hence the nature study suggests quote current herd immunity and ba5 vaccine boosters may not efficiently prevent the infection of omicron convergent variants (laughs) great so now they're going yeah i know we forced you to get that too but now the new study says it might not even work at all Ooh, who said that we did. That's right. Why? Because we looked at this stuff before Wall Street Journal finally admitted what the nature study was saying. It's embarrassing how these people seemingly run from the science until they're allowed to talk about it. It's obvious. So first important point is that they're telling you that XBB, your vaccine, your dangerous gene therapy is not going to help you there. Then it says neutralizing antibodies of people who had received the bivalent Okay, so the people that received the news bivalent, which seemingly isn't effective here, were 26 times as high against the Wuhan variant as they were against XBB. So first point, you know, another way to say that, <laughs> it's just so funny how they frame this stuff. Another way to say that is the bivalent produced 26 times less antibodies against the new thing as it was against Wuhan. That's the, that's the reverse of that. But they have to say it the way that makes it sound like it's effective. 26 times less effective is ridiculous to something that's already not very effective. Then it says, and 
people that had the bivalent shot were four times as the antibodies were four times as high as they were against Omicron as or, I'm reading it funny here. Neutralizing antibodies of people who had received the bivalent were 26 times as high against the original Wuhan variant as they were against XBB. So it was better against the Wuhan variant and four times as high as they were against Omicron and BA4 and 5. So either way you look at it, it's right now, you're not working. The more and more it gets removed, the more the worse it gets. Now that's just talking about a, a response, understand? That's the you know clinical response they talk about. So all they're saying is you're clinically producing less and less and less of the antibodies. We're not even asking whether they're the right antibodies, right? That's the important part because not having the right antibodies could lead to antibody-dependent enhancement and all the other problems that come along with these. So that's just the first point in this. That we're, I think we're on the second point now, but in this point of these three paragraphs, that's the first point, that it does not work as well. Then it says, similarly, a study this month in the journal Cell, all peer-reviewed, found that antibody levels of people who had received four shots were 145 times as high against the original Wuhan strain as XBB. Again, the, the just insulting way they frame that. So what they're telling you, if you've got four shots in your body, this thing is 145 times less effective against whatever's circulating right now than it was before. 145 times. Think about something that's barely effective and lessening it 145 times. That is a really crafty way to lie to you and say that it's effective when it's 145 times less. It's producing 145 times less antibodies against the XBB variant. That's ridiculous. Then it says a bivalent booster only slightly increased that, those antibodies. Slightly. From 145 times down, a little bit increase if you get the bivalent, which, by the way, we just talked about doesn't really work and increases your risk of everything else on top of it. The serious adverse events, we've already shown you all these studies. There is nothing about this that you can spin anymore. That's why these articles are coming out. They've lost control. Experts nevertheless claim that boosters improve protection. And get this, even the Wall Street Journal says this. That's disinformation to use their favorite term. Wow. They clearly let the leash off. They, go ahead and say what you want because we're, I mean, why? Why wouldn't they say this before? These studies have been out for a minute. They're clearly being allowed to do this. That, so they're saying the experts who claim the booster is effective are lying to you. You know why? Because they are. And it's been clear for a long time. They were lying to you in the very beginning. It says a Cleveland Clinic study that tracked its healthcare workers found that bivalent vaccines reduced the risk of getting infected by 30%, which I don't even believe that, to be quite honest. While, again, when you include all the side effects and everything else, it's just a complete net harm, as the British Medical Journal large peer-reviewed study found. But it says while the BA5 variant was spreading. Okay, so first of all, it's saying you have 30%. <laughs> reduced your risk of 30%. That's not an effective injection at all. But it's saying it reduces your risk of getting infected, not dying hospitalization, just getting infected by 30% while BA5 was spreading. But as the study explained, the reason might be that workers who were more cautious, you know, wore N95s, which don't really have an effect, except they make you more, you know, and so on, and avoid large gatherings, may have also been more likely to get boosted. <laughs> okay, so the argument is that the booster or having four shots or more makes it less effective. And that they increase other things, they don't work as well, and so on. But then they say, well, if they've got the bivalent, but BA5 at 30%. <laughs> this is just so embarrassing. But then at the end, they say that the reason that it might have been that effective is because they were more likely to get the booster, which they just went over, was less of... 
I, that doesn't even make sense. Either way, the point is that study's it's a, there's a caveat because these people are more likely to do what they're told and so on and so on. But it says, notably, workers who had received more doses. Important. Listen, for those that are questioning all of this, Wall Street Journal says, notably, well, rather, the studies peer reviewed that we've already shown you say, and Wall Street Journal finally reports, workers who had received more doses were at higher risk of getting sick. There's just no hiding this anymore. Where are all, where's the hoteses out there who are being called out even by the corporate media now? Not by name, but they would say this is fake news. Anti-vaxxer stuff, anti-vaxxer aggression. Workers who received more doses were at higher risk of getting sick. There's no one misunderstanding that. Those who received three more, three more doses or more doses were 3.4 times as likely to get infected as the unvaccinated. Those who received, those who received two were only 2.6 times as likely. What are we talking about here? Well, you guys know this because we've been saying this as long as we had the UK data that showed exactly that, that way before bivalent, they were three, four times more likely to actually get COVID-19, which was why this was spreading and catching and variants and everything else. So we're, we're so far past, we're not talking just bivalent. We're talking about people that had three or more doses, but you go all the way back to two doses. The very beginning of this. So people that got two regular Wuhan shots, you're still being told you're 2.6 times as likely to get sick. This never worked. Ever. And then you actually factor in all the risks. And it's this is just the most dangerous thing I've ever seen. It says, quote, this is not the only study to find a possible association with more prior vaccine doses and higher risk of COVID-19. Yeah, shocking. They're finally admitting the reality that there's studies everywhere saying this. We still have a lot to learn about protection from COVID-19 vaccination. I love that. Great. So after three years of forcing it down everyone's throats, including infants, we apparently have a lot to learn about protection of these injections. My God, that is a soft roll statement. And in addition to a vaccine's effectiveness, it is important to examine whether multiple vaccine doses given over time may not be having the beneficial effect as generally assumed. Wow. Now, I'm not going to hate on the author of the study for saying that. The point is, my God. So if we don't know enough about the protection, which, by the way, that's what emergency use authorization means, that we don't know the full risks or the full benefits. We are just not, they're just not telling people that. The point is that he's saying that that it's important to examine whether multiple doses may not have the effect that they assumed that it would. You know why they assumed? Because there's no long-term safety data. There's no multiple dose safety data. There's none of this stuff is to the point they're at now. None of this has been done. We're so far past the risk stage, and now we're going to prove to you that the risk was never there. And all of this was jammed down people's throats. And this country specifically, Canada as well, UK, New Zealand, Australia, they are still forcing this as other countries have dropped it entirely. This is, this is nothing if not criminal activity. I mean, God, it's just disgusting. Babies, pregnant women. Two years ago, vaccines were helpful in reducing severe illness. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, again, the idea that we can pretend like this is not the same problem happening before, (laughs) but it says particularly among elderly and those with health risks like diabetes and obesity, you know, the ones that are at most risk from the dangers of the vaccines. Makes sense, right? But experts refuse to concede that boosters have yielded diminishing benefits and may even have made individuals and the population as a whole more vulnerable to new variants. I argue this is the only way they salvage this to just simply argue 
that they got it wrong with the newest one. Everything was good before. They just kind of missed the mark with the new thing. And probably why, if you let the people run with it, because the anti-vaxxers, how much you want to bet. It's their fault. They did it. And that's why it changed. And we weren't ready. But ah, we did make a mistake, though. So next plan. That's where I see this going. They know they've lost the game in this moment. And this is a way to keep it going in a different direction. They diminish the benefits. The point is they were never there. You're being experimented on. And they basically admitted that. This DOD operation. Very clearly executed. It may not be a coincidence that XBB surged this fall in Singapore, which has among the highest vaccination and booster rates in the world. You just can't. You know, if we said that on Twitter a month ago, you'd call it a conspiracy theorist. Right. When you show the highest vaccination rate and the highest move, like, oh, it's because the majority, of course, the majority are going to have it. It's the same reflexive, just like with Twitter files. They're trained how to respond. And those responses don't even make sense. It doesn't matter. It might not be a coincidence that the highest vaccinated areas are having the highest problems. What do you know? What a great take, Wall Street Journal. Over the past several weeks, an XBB strain, A-N, XBB strain, has become prominent in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Gee, what do those places have in common? Making up about three quarters of the virus samples that have been genetically sequenced. Which, again, shows you that all they do is sample certain areas and then guess at what's most prominent, lying to you about everything they test with the PCR test. They, I, we're lied to about everything here. The variant has been slower to take off in other regions, making up only 6% of the Midwest and 20% in the South. Gee, that's a pretty stark difference, isn't it? You know what the difference is? I know you know what it is. Less vaccination rate versus more vaccination rate. It's pretty simple. The North, that's the correlation is all I'm saying, but that's pretty easy to point out. The Northeast is also the most vaccinated and boosted region in the country. Right. So the places that have the most boosted and injected areas are the ones suffering the most right now. Pretty simple. Hospitalizations in the Northeast have risen too. Exactly the same point. The obvious reality is they've lost control. And what we were censored for yesterday is today's breaking story. Everywhere you look. Well, here is a professor. You got to love this, too. So as we're talking about the information and the, what we literally just read from you, I mean, from not just the, po- the focal point about variants, but the idea that in, there's three studies that point out that, it, ca- that it, it doesn't work well against new variant, that you're more likely to get sick in every possible way, whether two, three or four shots, it increases your risk of getting sick. You're more likely to get COVID-19, right? That's, I mean, that's the main part right here. Those who received three or more doses were 3.4 times more likely to get infected as the unvaccinated. Period. This is today from Wall Street Journal. Not or yesterday. Not that the Wall Street Journal says it makes it true, but this is what they're supposed to be listening to. What they, they say trust the science. They mean listen to what the media tells them the science says or the government. But this is what this is from yesterday as well. Now, there's two points to make here. One, she directly challenges what they just said because they're towing a line from before is what they do. But notice something else in this that I find very interesting. <laughs> this is not a professor of microbiology, a professor of vaccinology, a doc, or a, a really, and this is Dr. Jin Tong Tang, professor of entrepreneurship and management. Well, that's weird. Why would the professor of entrepreneurship and management be telling you to take vaccines because they're safe? I guess because she has a doctor in her name, people are just going, oh, well, she knows. No, that's not true. Mostly, the idea of, anyway, it's absurd that she's not an epidemiologist, let's say. On top of that, she's telling you the exact false information 
that we just proved to you is the other way around, that they are more at risk. Here's what she has to say. Return to normal. Hi, my name is Jin Tong Tang. I'm a professor of entrepreneurship and management at St. Louis University. Vaccinating your children reduces the risk of being infected with COVID-19, which can help keep them from being sick. This means that they can stay in school and continue their education uninterrupted, and they will be more likely to be able to participate in sports and clubs and return to fun activities. Why exactly? The stop transmission? No. It, are they more likely to be sick if they take these? Yes. The more they take, the more likely they are to get sick. So how does that make any sense? You're right. It doesn't at all. In fact, it's the literal opposite of what she's saying, but they're still towing the line. They're just trotting these people out. My point is that's probably why they give her, they bring out the manager of entrepreneurship and management, the professor of entrepreneurship, because I think doctors are going, ah, no, thank you. I'm done with that. I don't want to, I, I, I'm, I'm waking up to the reality that we're all being played and I'm tired of being used. Like the only people that get is the, the complete jackasses like Dr. Hotez out there to rush out and yell whatever he's told to say, despite how all of the evidence is going in the direction. Professor of entrepreneurship. I'm not trying to make fun of her. The point is, come on. The reality is clearly she is the not what you would expect a person to come out and say, these are safe. Thank you, professor of entrepreneurship. They're telling me the vaccines are safe. I'm going to go ahead and listen to these other doctors who are telling you that who are literal cardiologists and epidemiologists and vaccinologists are telling you that they're not. But the point is on top of all of it that she's saying vaccinating your children reduces their risk of getting COVID. Quite literally the opposite now even backed up by the Wall Street Journal, but more importantly, backed up by peer-reviewed science. Here's a funny part, though. Let's take a quick dance back to June 3rd, 2021. Fact check. No evidence. Vaccination efforts are causing new COVID variants. You see how the game goes. Now, there's a part that I could have included today that I will go over at some point in the future, uh, talking about one of these ridiculous fact checkers and showing you that they have no expertise at all, even remotely, in these fields, and they're just towing lines, which is what they do. They're opinion checkers. They know what the opinion is supposed to be, and they make sure anybody saying the opposite of that is fact-checked, opinion-checked. But my God, so just so it's clear, for those that haven't put it together, they just admitted that these are, at least in some ways, causing variants, as well as a lot of other stuff. And here we are with a fact-check that says, not real. How many times does this need to happen? Right in front of you, in plain daylight, to say, look, we were wrong, and we were laughing as we did it like sneering at you and deriding you. These stupid anti-vaxxers don't know, and you were wrong. Were we getting lucky, Scott Adams? No, we weren't. We were looking at the data. A video making the rounds on social media claims new variants of COVID are forming to, are forming to sidestep the antibodies created by the global vaccination drive, but scientific evidence thus far, no, at that time, I, I challenged this, and I showed you with the science, does not support this claim. It literally did. There's no evidence vaccination efforts against COVID-19 have caused new variants, experts say. Which ones? Who cares? It's obvious that it was there. Undeniably so. As I said to just this tweet about opinion, I should have put this earlier, are vaccines feeling new variants? And I said, obviously, as we made clear using peer-reviewed science in 2021, this would be comical had their obfuscation throughout the COVID illusion not been so devastatingly damaging. Had people been able to make an informed choice, you know, informed consent, many lives would have been saved. The point is here, I mean, there's many of these segments we've done. I think this is one of the earlier ones, but I'm not sure. July 11th, 2021. July 11th, right? So here we are in June. July 11th, I'm here breaking this down. Are COVID vaccines creating variants? 
Let's look at what the scientific research says. No, I didn't go, yes, this or everything. I just said, let's look at the science. And we literally only looked at the peer-reviewed, and I think other than peer-reviewed science, and just looked at previous discussions, looked at current data, looked at experts speaking on the matter, and guess what? Shocking. Exactly what the Wall Street Journal is now admitting, but these people are saying, where was it? At the time that the evidence thus far, it's the same stuff. It's just painful. Here's another one, by the way. This is on August 1st, continuing the discussion. Mainstream media hides pandemic of the injected, the injections causing variants. Just demonstrating our value as always coming out of these conversations as early as possible. Oh, and I forgot to go into this. I was just, this is just another point I was going to add to it as they're talking about this and, you know, whether or not people are being informed. And don't forget, guys, that December 2020, they came out with this very clearly talking about antibody dependent enhancement saying that these things, COVID-19 vaccines designed to elicit neutralizing antibodies may in fact sensitize recipients to more severe disease than if they weren't vaccinated at all. December 2020, when they act like we were crazy. And then this is vaccines, be they composed of you know any of the different versions they're making, irrespective of delivery method, may worsen COVID-19 via antibody-dependent enhancement. You guys have seen this many times. The specific and significant risk of antibody-dependent enhancement should have been and should now be prominently and independently disclosed to research subjects in the trials, to those being recruited, and those taking the shots in order to meet the medical ethics of standards of patient comprehension for informed consent. You just can't miss that. And guess what happened? As you guys know, literally nothing. Absolutely nothing. All the way back then. Peer-reviewed in 2021. This is peer-reviewed. We've always known this. They don't care. And then on September 24th, 2022, bivalent jab outpaced by new variants. Look at that. Ahead of the other story too. September 24th, we were telling you right then, it's too late. <laughs> there are even, even within their narrative, the XBB and everything else is already happening. And right then they were going, fake news, fake news, take the new shot. They're lying. They're lying. And here we are now then telling you exactly what we were trying to tell you then. It's just that easy, guys. And it's not because we're that far ahead. It's just, the, it's, there, it's this simple to point out their lies if you're just objective. Now, let's get into some of the information that's breaking here that I think is really important. Now, this is, this is one of the most important here, guys. It just reiterates what we've already shown you. Jordan Peterson shared this. Much lower rate of COVID mortality than originally reported. Which, by the way, you know because we've already talked about this. Analysis by John Ioannidis. As skeptical and reliable a scientist as you could hope to find. Very highly regarded. From every angle. Did we take away civil liberties for what was essentially a rather typical flu? Yes. If that at all. January 1st, 2023. Age stratified infection fatality rate of COVID-19 in the non-elderly population. And it really, that is, that's pretty much under 70. So, and just so you can see, you know, Stanford University. Uh, it just, and this is not some flimsy thing. And this is on Science Direct, at least here. This is peer-reviewed. And it's just very simple, guys. Remember, the, I showed you this already, but I showed you on the preprint. And I, I kind of was like, well, maybe it'll never be peer-reviewed. Apparently it was. Good. All across 31 systematically identified national seroprevalence studies. That's huge. In the pre-vaccination era, the median infection fatality rate of COVID-19 before this all started was estimated to be 0.034%. Remember the flu, we're talking 0.1, 02 Four people aged 0 to 59 years old 
and 0.095 for those aged 0 to 69. Now, that 0.95 is basically flu a little bit less. Now, the important part is what says next. The average infection fatality rate. for the And I, I keep telling you this. Actually, I think I keep adding an extra zero off the top when I'm saying it off the cuff. The average infection fatality rate for those under 19 years old is 0.0003%. 0.0003%. And they are forcing these people to take injections, increasing the risk of myocarditis for something that literally almost will never kill them. 0.002% for 29, 2029. 0.011% for 30 to 39, all still wildly under the flu. 0.035 for 40 to 49. And only once you get 50 to 59, it gets 0.123. So that's the flu. And the reality here, guys, is that ultimately, I argue that up the upward, the, the higher you get in the ages, there's a lot more going on that factor. Because a lot of these people were in, in, uh, intubated, which caused them to die, which we know is a whole discussion there. Well, there's a discussion about all sorts of things. And we're, this is global, right? So we're talking about in the UK, where they were doing the eugenics factor and midazolam and remdesivir and all these things that are putting people in positions where that caused them to die early. That's mostly elderly. The injections themselves. So the point here is, guys, I think, well, this is pre-vaccination, but the point is that the, in the beginning, even in 2020, they were intubating people and giving them whatever else. I think that adds to why the number looks higher there, just my opinion. But it was 0.5, 60 to 69, which that's, I, I just personally don't think that's actually what it was, but it, I think it's at the very least higher because of that. But, you know, either way, the point is it's not correct for the vast majority of the population. But then at a global level, pre-vaccination, so before all of this, infection fatality rate may have been as low as 0.03% and 0.07% for 0 to 59 and then 0 to 67 year old respectively. So to say it clearly, 0.03 up to 59 years old or under 59, 0.07 under 69, 0.07 for even 69 and below. There's nothing, I mean, that is a benign flu strain. <laughs> it's probably what we're dealing with, guys. It probably was just simply repackaged using infections caused by masks and pneumonia caused by masking and lockdown illness and then vaccine side effects and everything just spear. I mean, Denny Rancourt makes a valid argument of how that very easily could have been the case. On top of all of it, the obvious false positive PCR tests that were designed to create the case demic. All of it based on this, which was never there. The whole, the same game, Imperial College of London, lying just the right way over and over and over still to this day. That is where it all began. They lied to us then, they're lying to you now. Now this is because they went back and re and went over this again and found out that we're still being lied to. Now here's another interesting one. This is from James Sintolo. I saw this from, this is his Substack. Make sure you check out our Substack, TLA, TLA, TLA vagabond.substack.com, I believe. New study revealed Pfizer vaccine recipients had a 36% higher risk of experiencing severe adverse events. Okay, so now we have an increased risk of almost four times of getting COVID if you've got over four shots, of 2.4 times if you have just two shots. We have a clearly less efficacious situation to anything we're dealing with today. We know that the more shots you get, the more severe adverse events you get in general. Now we've got another study showing you that you have a 36% higher risk of experiencing the specifically severe adverse events. I mean, everything about this is almost seemingly designed to make it more dangerous. I, I, I don't know if that's the case. I don't, this, this got me pretty, 
I'm either, either we're being experimented on and testing this stuff, or this is some pretty incompetent people here. It says FDA approved Omicron specific boosters that weren't tested on people, which we know. Now here it is. And I'll show you the study, a new secondary analysis of Moderna and Pfizer. This is, this is why this is so important. This is a group going back and reviewing Pfizer's own data from the phase three trial from the very beginning. And then going, oh, guess what? It's actually pretty dangerous. Think about how ridiculous that is. So what we were, so up until this point, people in the corporate media and the government have just been blindly taking what Pfizer said about it. Yes, a secondary analysis of Moderna and Pfizer's phase phase three random controlled trial using Brighton collaborative, uh, Brighton collaborative criteria found one. And I actually believe it was five hundred and fifty five serious adverse events. I think I, I mean, either way, it's one in, you know, under 600 serious adverse events per vaccinated individual per after Pfizer. That is obscene. Every 500 and there's one in 550. were serious adverse events. So every, every person vaccinated, every 550 people vaccinated, one person's going to have a severe adverse event, death, hospitalization, permanent disability. Now, just do the math on that, guys. That's obscene. There's no way that benefits outweigh the risks. I mean, that, at that point, you have to be you have to be something like the Black Plague if that, to, to even pretend. And even then, this is like the argument about the uh, smallpox vaccination. They just argue smallpox is so dangerous that it would give you something that also might kill you. It's just ridiculous because that's considered one of the most dangerous vaccines in existence. The one they also try to get you to take for monkeypox. But it says... Uh, it, it, uh, per vaccination with Pfizer, it says, which was a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events versus placebo. 36% higher. Just so it's clear, adverse events of special interest were defined, defined as hospitalization, disability, or death. There's a bunch in here you can read for yourself. It's a good article, but here's the study. This is from September, September 22nd. My God. And I believe we might have already shown you this, but it's important to go over today. Serious adverse events of special interest following these injections. Random trial, random controlled trials, gold standard. Secondary analysis of serious adverse events reported in their controlled phase three trial. It's just mind-blowing. This study went through their research and said, guess what, Pfizer, you lied to us about this. They don't really say that. But if they found it to be worse, then what happened? Is Pfizer that incompetent? No, they're willfully deceiving people like they always have. And Moderna, too, for that matter. But here is um, Pfizer tracker, since I bring that up. Include this so you guys can see it. Damn, my, my chair is starting to squeak. I hope, I hope you guys can't hear that. Got to get a new chair. So violation tracker, current parent company summary. And this just shows you $10 billion since 2000 just for Pfizer. As you've seen many times, this is about lying to you about false claims, safety, exactly what we're dealing with today. Literally $10 billion, 26 times they've lied about environmental things, 20 times they've false claims, given false claims what the drugs can do. It's just, it's just obscene that we pretend like these people aren't criminals. But it says the mRNA vaccines were associated with an excess risk of serious adverse events of special interest of 12.5 per 10,000. That's the first part. All right, was that the, yeah. Then it says the Pfizer trial exhibited a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in the vaccine group. Risk difference, 18 per 10,000. 
Now, when you're doing the math, I believe that comes out to one in 555. I think so. Or 550. I just thought I remembered 555. Either way, it's what this it's what this substack was just talking about. That is not what we're told. That's alarmingly high. It says the excess risk of serious adverse events found in our study points to the need for a formal harm benefit analysis. Yeah, exactly. You know, but maybe before we force it on two month old babies, just a thought. There's no way people can keep pretending like this makes sense anymore. They never did, but this is just gross. Here's Dr. Asim Ultra telling you that the World Health Organization endorsed a list of potential serious adverse events with the mRNA jab. That's just, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's right there in front of you. As he says, almost everything that affects the heart is listed on this list, and we're giving this to children? The question is now, what is the prevalence of that, and how does that relate to the benefits of the vaccine? And we've analyzed that as well. And, you know, the, when we look at the um, cardiovascular effects in particular, um, certainly the original trials uh, suggested that serious adverse events, and the most common of those serious adverse events are, are issues relating to clotting, so heart attack strokes, lung clots, for example, were higher or more likely to get a serious adverse event than one was to be hospitalized with COVID. What was most extraordinary, though, when I was doing my own investigation analyses was discovering the fact that the World Health Organization, Lawrence, had endorsed a list when the vaccines were being rolled out of potential serious adverse events to look out for. And we look at that list, it's extraordinary. And essentially anything and everything that can go wrong with the heart is on that list from heart attacks, pericarditis, um, arrhythmias, atrial fibrillation, heart failure. It's all there. And that's what we are seeing in the community. Certainly those are the patients, some of those patients I've managed myself. I just want to add a point that I haven't said in a while. And that's to realize, guys, that it doesn't matter. You know, you could be sitting here thinking like, it's super rare and it's worth it and whatever else you're supposed to repeat because they told you. It doesn't, the ultimate point doesn't matter is that if these things are possible at all, then of course you should have a choice. Like, how can you tell someone they have to take something that could have given them a heart attack? Like, the argument is, well, they all have their side effects. Well, then good. Then everybody should always have a choice, which, by the way, is always the point. Whether or not there are side effects, it's your body. Again, that same old classic point, my body, my choice, just suddenly stops mattering the moment that they don't agree with it anymore. It's insulting. These are dangerous, even if it's only... A very rare problem. Dangerous simply means able to cause harm. There's different levels of dangerous, of course. They're able to cause harm. That's obvious. The fact they're still forcing people in any context is mind-blowing. Oh, no right no, it needs, it needs to be halted. Well. Um, and I think fibrillation, heart failure, it's all there. And that's what we are seeing in the community. Certainly those are the patients, some of those patients I've managed myself. It needs to be halted. Well. Um, and I think... Yeah. I, not- I noticed psychosis on there as well, which I think some of our uh, jab f- fanatics um, quite, in- quite enjoy. That's interesting, though, because that is there. The argument that the injections themselves have a side effect of psychosis. <laughs> That's interesting. And don't forget that even the UK passed a bill right at the beginning of all this that kind of undermine- underlined the idea that, like, that somebody could be removed from office or some position if they felt that there was some kind of an effect on their mental capacity because of COVID-19 specifically. That's very interesting. Remember that? Like this whole conversation, like maybe that's coming in the future. You know, that you, I, who knows? And maybe not now the way it all fell apart, but there was something to that. They're shouting at me in my ear again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate. It's interesting you say that because 
What happens with the spike protein from the vaccine? It seems to be distributed in every organ system in the body. And yep. for some people, unfortunately, it can cause either a direct toxicity or an autoimmune reaction. Yep. And that includes the brain, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the ovaries. The t- Just think about how casually speaking about this, right? These highly regarded cardiologists. How can you just pretend like they're just conspiracy theorists? It's just such a mind-blowing argument. It's so stupid. And he just, he just rattled. You know why he's saying it so soundly and, and confidently? Because it's very clear. It's right there in print on all the studies. It just people just don't want to hear it. Testes. And I think that's probably why the WHO put that list out. And they put that list out based upon four bits of information. Uh, you know, side effects, serious side effects from other vaccines, uh, you know, which may have been very rare, but still possible. Um, animal studies, the technology that was being used, and COVID itself, certainly COVID in severe cases, uh, people who were hospitalized in intensive care seemed to cause uh, problems in, in, in multiple organs. It's certainly not the case for mild COVID. In fact, you know, interestingly, a few weeks ago, the Times newspaper headlined uh, with uh, even mild COVID linked to heart disease and strokes. And I looked at the research on which that headline was based, and it was um, the complete opposite, actually. The, the, their research found the opposite. Mild COVID was linked to less risk of a heart attack. And there was certainly no, uh, no risk, increased risk of mild COVID of things like myocarditis, for example. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. And a lot of it, unfortunately, in my view, Lawrence, is being fueled by very powerful vested interests. You've got to remember the pharmaceutical industry have got a lot of power and influence, both visible and un- invisible, unchecked power over many, many years. They exert their power over academic institutions, over the regulator. I mean, our regulator in the UK, the MHRA, gets 86% of its funding from pharma. Um, independent scientist in the BMJ, Donald Light, sociologist, he actually said the regulators, um, you know, they're not independent, they're not rigorous, uh, they withhold their data, they're selective. And as long as they're captured by industry funding, the public must know that they cannot be trusted. And this is a real crisis, um, something that we've never experienced before on this scale. And I think it will ultimately go down as a big scandal. And the scandal isn't so much that mistakes were made. You know, I think we made a mistake at the beginning. I think the scandal is that when the information started to um, evolve and come out showing that there were serious harms, that they, the medical authorities turned a blind eye and buried their head in the sand. You know, in, in medicine, you know, science evolves. You know, doctors can make errors. Information changes. But patients and the public want their doctors to be honest. And I have conversations with patients all the time say, listen, we thought this was true at the time. Things have changed. Can I, can I ask we need you to something? Move can I ask you something yeah. just quickly? Everything you're saying makes sense to me because I think critically. Why are there so many people who think the opposite? Why are there so yeah, many? So, great, great question, Lawrence. So before he answers that, just to just to beat this dead horse. Think about this in the context of Twitter files with COVID-19, right? When we came out in the beginning, the same thing. We don't get to see the information. We don't even get to see the insert. They just tell you do it though, because trust us, because it's right, it's safe, it's effective, because we know, and a lot of people went along with it. Now, all the people that are going along with Twitter files are the opposite. I would argue the exact reverse of that. And they're going to look at and go, well, we didn't buy that. We're not stupid. Well, it's the same thing. Just because the person telling you now is somebody you believe you can trust, it's the same thing. It doesn't I mean the point is you don't know. But nonetheless, people are still engaging with it because they're choosing to. And it's the same thing here. We it's just in every possible angle, we're trying to be led into something by 
saviors and, and figures that we're supposed to follow and trust. And a lot of people are like that, even in the independent media, where you just look for someone to tell you what to think. It's, it's, it's a problem, guys. We need to get away from this. It, I think it, one of the things uh, you, we've talked about this before, I think you've mentioned it, is fear clouds one's ability to engage in critical thinking. And yes. many of more specifically emotion, right? Fear being an emotion, right? But emotion in general, whether it's fear or or hubris or or anger or jealousy, like these things absolutely trump your logic easily. And they know that. Opposite. Why are there so yeah, many? So, great, great question, Lawrence. So it, I think it, one of the things, medical uh, you, we've talked about this before, I think you've mentioned it, is fear clouds one's ability to engage in critical thinking. And many of us, you know, many people still, most of us, I would say, at the very beginning, were under a lot of fear. I mean, I, I think we're, many, many people are still suffering from a form of PTSD from when we went to lockdowns and when we were seeing all these things on the media, you know, uh, images from China, from Italy, people very, very sick. We didn't know what we were dealing with. Uh, I was even one of those persons. I remember getting groceries from the supermarket and using uh, Dettol spray to clean the packaging around the soup before I opened the vegetables, for example, because we didn't know, you know, how uh, uh, contagious this was and how serious it was. So a lot of fear clouded critical thinking, and that's still a problem. And then the other issue is something called willful blindness, you know, where uh, organizations in this case, institutions are turning a blind eye to the truth in order to feel safe, avoid conflict, reduce anxiety, yep. and protect prestige and their reputations. And in fact, that's something that Andrew Bridgen also mentioned in his speech. So I think we need to understand what we're dealing with when it comes to having conversations with people who are literally um, have uh, not just ignorant, but have the illusion of knowledge. See, an important use right there of the word ignorant, it's not meant to always be an insult, guys. It just means like it means you don't understand. Willful ignorance is, is, is more of an insult to argue that you're choosing to not understand. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how words are used today. And ignorance is seen as a super insult. Really, it's just it's almost like a, a pass. It's like you don't you, you just don't get it. It's or, you know, you aren't that you could be completely unaware that you're even not missing the point. They, they, they become fact hesitant. What, what role would you say the British like Heart that. Foundation have to play in this? And uh, are they fit for purpose yeah. as an organization? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I've worked with the British Heart Foundation in the past. They've got a lot of very good people there. Uh, I helped them in the campaign around getting access to defibrillators, something I wrote about many years ago, that we need more de public defibrillators to reduce the, you know, people dying from cardiac arrest. So I know there are many good people there. I think the problem with the Brit British Heart Foundation, certainly in relation to the COVID vaccine data, um, they have come out with public statements which essentially say there is no link between cardiac arrest and the vaccine. There is no link with heart attacks. And at best, um, Lawrence, those statements are uh, outdated and misleading. And at worst, they're blatantly false. So they are not rigorously analyzing this data. Absolutely not. <clears throat> Very important. Very important. I mean, it's just, it's just so obvious how clear, how dangerous this is, right? <clears throat> no, that's actually not true. Somebody's saying it means, ignorance means you don't know something. It means you, it means, it, it it, it's it's a combination of them. Like he just said, like he didn't say that they because they don't knit that they don't fully grasp the concept or they don't even aren't even aware that it's there. Like it's 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 not it's it, you know, just look, look up the definition. It's pretty clear. But I, but I think what's important. Is that there's a lot of people, not just Maltro or Dr. Peter McCullough, like we got to remember from the very beginning, 
Like, how did Dr. Buttar or these other people, Dr. Mikovits, how did they know there was a problem all the way back in the beginning? Because they were skeptical, because they were very early on seeing problems. And they a lot of them were aware of the of the games that were played before COVID ever came along. You know, things that were still called and still are called conspiracy theory. You know, the very th- the things we should now look back at and pick apart, like the HIV AIDS overlap, just like we're dealing with SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. The same questions and the same games are being played, guys, or even just flu and pneumonia as the WHO and HHS themselves have called out the CDC for in their pandemics of fear, as they themselves call it. It's, it opens doors to these things. We got to start looking back even further. Here's Jessica Rose. This is important as well. 40% of VAERS domestic reports in the U S are unrecovered individuals. That's crazy. Now, again, you could, you have to be clear that VAERS means you don't know for sure, even though eventually it should mean they find out, but I guarantee you that's just going to forever be an unverified because that's the only way they can sidestep it. But 40% of these reports with taking into consideration, some of them could be confused, mistaken, lying, but not all of them, especially the reality being that historically, this is only 1% of the total reports according to HHS and Harvard, that they're unrecovered, 40%. So just take the, what, 20,000 plus deaths, or sorry, not deaths, but the, uh, what was it, the, I forget the numbers off the top of my head. I forget what the hospitalizations were. In any case, that 40% of these reports, whether they're blood clots or heart, heart attacks or whatever else, or just ongoing issues, it's not momentary, that they're unrecovered, all ages. 62% of reports onset within seven days of the injections. That's why that they dismiss anything within the first 14 days. 27% reported onset within 24 hours. Still suffering. 34% of the adverse event reports are severe. My God, 34%. Why isn't this being addressed or assessed? We know why. She knows why. She's just making people think about it. And, and with under-reporting under factor of 31, this is so obviously being hidden. Here's somebody's comments on this. Jeff Davis, MD, says, my understanding is due to the PrEP Act, which is important in all this from the very beginning. As even Dr. Peter McCullough pointed out, like the way it was used to essentially bribe people, vaccines fall under countermeasures. I, not even, I, I don't think that was specifically the PrEP Act, which is a lot of the money that was flying over the top. Vaccines fall under countermeasures and therefore under the purview of the DOD. We were just talking about this. I don't think that the FDA can withdraw these products, even if they wanted to. The approval of boosters was a clue that this was happening. Now, this is we just talked about this yesterday or not yesterday, but oh, shoot. I've got the. I guess I already did. There we go. Grab this. You guys didn't have the show from yesterday or again, not yesterday, but the last show. <clears throat> and, and just the, the very interesting concept. The, the, it was the, the latter ta- quarter of the show. Right here. Didn't open it. Here we go. This is an important conversation about a lot of things, Twitter stuff, or specifically at the end, though, the overlap, the DOD, as I as I called it, the COVID jab, uh, Lieber, Charles Lieber, Elon Musk overlap, and the Department of Defense. And the interesting part here is that all of this overlaps, and, and the data we get into in the specific COVID jab part is ultimately... Oh, that's right. There we go. Is ultimately that the DOD is in control of this. And we know that from Operation Warp Speed. We know that from the, from Trump's administration, Monsef Salawi and HHS and all this stuff. But what's interesting is they kind of tried to pretend like that pivoted. But the reality is that the documents we just went over in that show it indicate very clearly that, the, that a lot of this was theater, that the FDA and the way this has gone explains a lot of why they're barely even caring or that we can have damning information in these meetings and they still go forward, that it's a national security 
effort. Which, by the way, that even falls under the Smith Munt Modernization Act. They can say national security, therefore we can lie about everything. I think that's what we're seeing here. He makes an excellent point. Well, going forward in these discussions, here's Dr. Charles Hoff. In my practice, now it's approximately two-thirds of all cancer diagnoses since the VAX rollout are suddenly stage four. Been nicknamed turbo cancer. They just doesn't, there's no, this is unexplainable other than some kind of catalyst. They can't keep pretending that, oh, they just didn't go to the hospital for a month or a year or two years. That's not, listen to these doctors. That's not how this works. That's a government response to what they're looking at. The doctors who deal with cancer, like that's ridiculous. This is obviously being caused by what you think it is. It's damning stuff. It wasn't just for, you know, myocarditis or strokes or so on. Well, what we're seeing is also that people are starting to talk about the cancers which are appearing. Uh, doctors are seeing them and also the, the number of, um, of cases of cancer, which you know, are much advanced when they're first recognized. And also they have distant uh, spread. It's quite remarkable. Charles, are you seeing something like this in your practice? Yeah. I, in fact, I wanted to talk about one of my own patients. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. As a, as a family doctor, um, over the years you know, a small percentage of the new cancer diagnoses would, would unfortunately be stage four at first diagnosis. But in my practice now, it's approximately two-thirds of all cancer diagnoses since the VAX rollout um, are stage four. And so, you know, pathologists um, around the world have noticed this, that unfortunately now the people who had previous cancers who were, which were in remission Mm-hmm. Um, are flaring up since their shots because of the damage to their immune system. And Jessica Rose and plenty of others have pointed out the whole IgG4 overlap and how that adds to the same problem. If you don't remember the idea being that the injections causing IgG4, which is the inappropriate antibody for the situation, which allows it to continue and stay mild essentially, but ends up giving organ failure and so on. Whereas the IgG3 antibodies, which are needed to suppress the actual viral product or, or a- a aspect of it all, are completely bottoming out after two, three shots. It's gone. So, I mean, everything about this is guaranteed to do what's happening. Again, it almost seems planned, like almost seems engineered that way. Who knows? But it's amazing what he's saying. It does not line up with what they're pretending, that it just happened. There is a catalyst here. These people are, in, in every possible way, rapidly being ill, and the numbers are exponentially higher, perfectly correlated with the vaccine rollout. You, you just have to choose. That's what I mean, willfully ignorant, to not see this for what it is. Go back a little bit. We're in remission, um, are flaring up since their shots because of the damage to their immune system by the COVID shots. Side but new cancers being diagnosed, the tumors are bigger than ever. They, they seem to grow very aggressively, spread very aggressively, and um, be very resistant to treatment. So this has been nicknamed turbo cancer. Now ask yourself how it's possible that that could happen all around the world, as he's talking about, Except not everybody had the same response. Not everybody had the same COVID outbreak. Not everybody had the same lockdown timeframes where they weren't able to get to their treatments, right? Some places had none of that. Except the places that had injections, regardless of how they acted, all still have that same problem. That's the point. The correlation's undeniable. Here is an interesting point from Malaysia's perspective, where they seem willfully ignorant about the, co- the very obvious correlation. Behind Malaysia's increase in cancer cases, December 26, 2022. These days, even young people and children are becoming diagnosed with cancer. What could it possibly be? Same thing. These days, even infants or toddlers in their mother's, or, you know, 
babies inside their mother's womb are having heart attacks. You know, just a random COVID side effect. No, not what's happening. Health experts have pointed to lifestyle changes and increasingly unhealthy eating patterns linked to processed foods. It's funny how those things didn't matter before, as some of the factors behind the rising trend of cancer along, among Malaysians, including young people. This doctor says, the senior uh, lecturer in Malaysia says that this was also parallel with the rising rate of obesity. Well, of course, but it's not like they just skyrocketed up suddenly in 2020. It's been an, an incline, but this was a, a sharp increase. It's like the, the argument, this is insulting to your intelligence for them to grab out at anything possible. Well, it could be this, it could be the climate, it could be unhealthy foods. Well, yeah, it could be any of this stuff. But do the, does that make sense with the data? No, it does not. All these things didn't just converge suddenly in 2020 to see a gigantic spike, which is what we'll see in a second. It says in Malaysia, one in two adults is now overweight. Yeah, but that was it's been a gradual increase. So it would have been a gradual increase in Canada. It would just explode like this. Compared to other Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia's obesity level is high, nearly 50%. She said excessive weight was a main factor in contracting chronic illness, including cancer. The increase in the number of senior citizens has also contributed. So, okay, which one? Is it both? <laughs> is it one or the other? Okay, if these things are all simultaneously contributing to them, then what caused the spike? What suddenly changed that caused it to happen? Like, this is common sense. The National Cancer Society of Malaysia recently reported that some 20,000 cases were detected each year with an average age of patients above 40. However, over the past two years, what happened during that? New patients have emerged from the late 20s to early 30s age bracket out of nowhere. So, okay, so if it was weight, elderly, and so on, well, the elderly part doesn't matter if we're talking 20 to 30s, right? Then where's the weight problem? Did it, did it shockingly ha- dries up all of a sudden? No. So why do you explain that jump? You can't just guess into the wind. And NCSM also said that more children are being diagnosed. How do you explain that? Public health experts have said cases were on the rise as many people undergoing health screening. Right. So suddenly it makes sense because children are getting screened. No, this is a game. They're trying to give you excuses to, uh, to hide the obvious culprit. Also cited studies showing that young people spend more time in front of their computers. Okay, did that change? Now, yes, it probably happened more during the lockdowns or whatever else, assuming that happened the same way in this location versus everywhere else. The reality is this is always what's been happening. We saw a sharp increase in screen time a long time ago. And yes, I agree. These things do have influences on cancer. But did we see a sharp spike aligned with this other than these time? No, it happened along these two year time frame. There was an increase in screen use for a long time. The point is, guys, they're just pointing at things that likely play a factor trying to hide the obvious reality everywhere you look. Dr. McCullough points out, Dr. McCullough points out the World Council for Health representing dozens of NGOs around the globe, pharmacovigilance report called for market removal. The, this is COVID injections. The report gives multiple examples of products withdrawn with far fewer safety events with proper regulatory juris, jurisprudence. The point is, as we've seen many times with the swine flu injection, for example, far 50 deaths or 50 reports, I argue, I think it was, of death. That's enough. Reports, never proven. Pulled the whole thing. Why is it different today? There's Dr. Malone speaking with his group and saying these need to be pulled, which I think is even a shift for him. I think up until recently, I think he was at least still arguing it was some use, but here they are. Everybody's seeing the reality. We declare and the data confirms that COVID-19 experimental genetic therapy injections must end. We must acknowledge that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to myself and my colleagues today speaking to you from the heart 
about what we've observed and what we're recommending as the Global COVID Summit team of over 17,000 physicians and scientists from all over the world. We declare, and the data confirm, that the COVID-19 experimental genetic therapy injections must end. We must acknowledge that the genetic COVID-19 genetic injections cause far more harm than good and provide zero benefit relative to risk. Zero benefit relative to risk. Benefits outweigh the risks, huh? You understand the point, guys, is this is the way it was in the very beginning, from day one. For the young and healthy, they do not reduce COVID-19 infection, which is treatable and not terminal. Furthermore, the most recent data demonstrates that you are more likely to become infected or have disease or even death if you've been vaccinated compared to the unvaccinated people. Think about everything. This is shocking to hear, but it is what the data are showing us. Yep. And again, you've known that because we've been telling you that. People like the expose, for example, plenty of people out there have been telling you this for a long time. We weren't guessing. We weren't guessing because we were using peer-reviewed data. And we were saying, here's what it shows. And we, and even then, we weren't saying, we know for sure. And we were still getting censored. Just, just for engaging with this, what's now being pointed at in a broad way. Controlled flow of information. The data now show that these experimental gene therapy treatments can damage your children as well as yourself. They can damage your heart, your brain, your reproductive tissue, and your lungs. This can include permanent damage and disablement of your immune system. We strongly recommend that these products now and in the future be regulated as the gene therapy products that they are and require public involvement of the FDA's gene therapy scientists and committees in reviewing and approving these drugs. We believe that it's necessary to reestablish the five-year minimum FDA testing period and to cease the emergency use authorization and require full FDA licensure of all novel medical products used for COVID-19. Yeah. We also... I mean, at this point, though, I don't know why anybody would ever trust the FDA ever again, ever. These groups... I mean, I'll make a point at the end today about the Alzheimer's drug. These groups are wildly compromised. You know, just the bottom line is do whatever you guys are going to do. It can't be. There's no choice is all that matters. Choice. Now, obviously, we want these groups to be, you know, supposedly honest and, and engaged. But the bottom line is the, the, the only reason this went, it, it's because you forced it on people, which is the whole point, because obviously there's a game being played. Obviously, we're being experimented on. Obviously, these things are dangerous. So going forward, it's like, sure, let's, we want the FDA to do it this way for going forward. It's like, good, fine, whatever. At this point, I don't even care. I don't think I'm ever going to touch just anything they have again, ever. I mean, how could we after this? Now, I'm not saying you do whatever you think is right out there. I'm not a doctor. I'm not your medical physician. The point is that we have every right to be questioning every single thing they do from now on forever. And we always should have. That's just called being intelligent because history shows you that these government people and people that work with them have always been the culprits everywhere, historically speaking. So strongly recommend. And I mean that in the sense of like, you know, countries and so on. Obviously, there are people that act out in violence. But his, again, just go back as far as you want in history. It's almost always like this right now. It's just amazing that we can't learn from our own history. That there be investigations of the actual causes of death and damage 
to millions who have been subjected to these mandatory mRNA and adenoviral vector gene therapy injections. Hmm. Pretty crazy. Here's another example. This is from Our Voices Matter. Doctors from a variety of different fields speak out about the safe and effective potion. (laughs) Just more and more and more doctors continuing to speak out. There's an increased all-cause mortality. There are increased side effects from the booster shots. And apart from anything else, they are not effective against any of the current variants. And in the past couple of years, I've observed a number of my patients present with severe and debilitating long COVID symptoms. Not after having COVID, but after receiving their first or second COVID vaccine. Oh, what do you know? What a shock. Who didn't see that coming? Prior to the vaccine rollout, I didn't witness any evidence of myocarditis in relation to the COVID infection itself. The harms being caused by these vaccines are quite apparent now. The excess deaths around the globe are correlating with this vaccine rollout. The media are silent about this. The data is alarming. And I have started to notice that several of my patients have melanoma who've been stable, stage four disease, they've had very good immunotherapy or other treatments, and I've been reviewing them from five to 20 years. I've noticed that I have now over six, possibly seven, even an eighth yesterday, who've clearly relapsed following the booster vaccine. My God, right? I mean, are these all conspiracy, anti-science conspiracy theorists? I mean, it's the same try point. It's it's wasted on you guys because you're all here. You already know. But my God, you know, I mean, how is it possible with this much going on? Like the people like Hotez out there are still actually pretending these are just anti-vaxxers. I, you think about the level, the mental capacity, the level of that argument. It's just as, as ridiculous as it possibly gets. Yeah, How can you even level that against somebody who's outwardly saying and, and history shows that they're promoting everything except this one? It's just... It's just because they literally don't have anything else they can say. Concerned about the t- deterioration I've seen in the health of many of my patients since the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccinations. I'm also concerned about the national and international safety data that suggests something may be terribly wrong with these vaccines and possibly may be causing changes to the immune and the vascular systems mm-hmm. that could be long-standing. And given the huge safety signals that the mRNA injections are giving off, we need to stop these shots immediately. I also and realize every one of them is putting themselves in danger right now, especially if you're in California. I know a lot of people that have had side effects following a COVID vaccine. The summary published on the 1st of December 2022 indicates almost half a million reports. This includes 2,362 deaths, over 30,000 acute cardiac events, and almost 300,000 nervous system disorders, as well as many more serious and potentially life-threatening conditions. What you've been told about these COVID vaccines does not stand up to scrutiny. Dr. Claire Craig. We've seen a rise in cardiac excess deaths, which has happened since the beginning of the vaccine rollout and continues now with no other explanation for them. You may have heard the claim that 20 million lives have been saved by these vaccines, but that does not stand up to scrutiny. It is another fantasy based yet again on modelling that bears no relation to the real world data. Wow. 
There is now overwhelming evidence showing that the COVID vaccines are neither safe enough nor effective and that the risks far outweigh the benefits. I'm Dr. Angela Musso, international GP, former UK HSA public health officer. COVID-19 vaccine are not safe and effective. COVID-19 jabs are not safe and they are not proven effective. And this is the experience of frontline doctors across the world and published scientific research. The whole situation demands immediate and deep investigation. I, alongside other medical colleagues, are asking the government to halt the vaccination programme and investigate these serious concerns. There's more than enough evidence to show that the COVID injections are not safe and they're not effective. Let's stop the shots now. Yep. How in the world do you deny that? So I won't play this and say, I kind of already talked about it, but it's just another example, Dr. John Campbell, pointing out exactly like we have before, that both the swine flu and rotavirus vaccines were withdrawn after causing far fewer, I mean, ridiculously far fewer, serious adverse events reported, not proven, than the COVID-19 mRNA shots are causing. Yet the mRNA shots are still being promoted. I mean, he goes over this very clearly. Like, there's just no consistency there. If it mattered before, why does it not matter now? It's, it's obvious what's happening, I think. Now, one small example... Somebody get that for me in the chat. There's a bot in there. There's one small example here is a, just a small, like there's a lot of, like, we have all the big conversations out there, right? We have all these big conversations out there, myocarditis and blood clots and, you know, that very important. But what gets little attention, kind of like what Dr. Maholtra is pointing out, is their list of these things, it's a never ending. It's like everything possible these things are causing. Some of them very dramatically, some of them not. So, but it's all, and my point is always is how many super rare things do you put in a pile before in general, your risk is just ridiculously high. And then, then realize most of them aren't even rare. But what's interesting here is it says char characteristics and clinical ocular manifestations in patients with acute corneal graft rejection after receiving COVID-19 vaccine. So just a, a, a important, a big deal, but a smaller thing in the scale of how much is going on. Basically people that are getting uh, uh, corneal graft are having rejections. No, so basically they're losing these transplants, or I would argue, at least not having a take because of the injections. And it says 13 articles on 21 patients, 23 eyes with acute corneal graft rejection after COVID-19 vaccination published between April and December, 2020 were included. So there's 13 different articles on people having this happen specifically on just this one type of graft. I mean, just imagine how much of this is going on out there where people, where it's not even being reported where we don't even get to know about it, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's too much. There's so much going on. You can't hide from this anymore. Now, my point I mentioned before, because this is what's happening in California specifically, it's happening a lot of places, California, spe or, uh, Canada specifically as well. But today, AB-2098, the physician misinformation bill, goes into effect as law in California. Physicians can no longer communicate nuanced risk about mRNA COVID vaccines to their patients without potentially having their license revoked. Do you realize that almost everything that was to what, like that has now been discussed before was called fake news? In the beginning of all this, you couldn't mention myocarditis. You couldn't mention blood clots. You couldn't talk about any of this stuff because it was fake news and you were going to be censored. So if this bill was in place then, we would never know about this stuff, ever. How do we not realize that? They know that. That's why they're passing this. I just, it's my God. <laughs> I love that. Somebody in the chat says, 
I used to talk S about people that had blue check marks, which I really didn't. I just simply used a point to say that people with blue checks were a specific category and that the blue checks were, but now that's obviously changed. But now he has one paying for free speech. Not really, seeing as how I had the account back without it. I simply did it to see how that would go and to see if it was any invasive kind of a thing and to see if it increased the reach. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I guess I've had many people fooled, people think. <laughs> Great. Glad you support us, Nicole. Thanks for the support. Oh, hilarious. But anyway, the point is going forward, how obvious that, th- that we're being suppressed in this. People are being shut down from having honest conversation at a time when it's been obvious that without it, we would have even, even during being suppressed, you can see that we still got the information out. It's just they are, they are running from their problems right now. It's bad. Now, on top of all of that, remember that the FDA, apparently, according to CBC, approves. They didn't approve it. The emergency authorized it. But just showing you how ridiculous all corporate media is lying to you about the bivalent shot. But they did emergency authorize the bivalent shot that we just went over is making everybody worse, increasing your risk, increasing your risk of getting ill, increasing your risk of adverse events, you know, just worse in every possible way for kids as young as six months old, because that makes sense, right? Just 5.5% of Americans aged 18 to 24 have received the bivalent COVID booster. That's the good news. 5.5%. Most people are not doing it. It's, it's positive news, guys. That means you're not alone. Everybody sees it. Now, Nashville, Nashville Angela points out, I wonder how many people went to get a $75 credit card to get the next shot. They're still bribing people. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. They're brought... See, that's so weird. I'm pretty sure I'm following her. Yeah, that's... You see that down update? That's funny. There's a lot of weirdness going on on Twitter. There's genuinely stuff happening that I think people are aligning to censorship and so on that are just weird glitches and stuff. It's it's interesting because it really is weirdness happening that I think is just not working properly. But this last part here, before we skip over here, is the idea that they're still pushing into this. Like, So we're talking about children right here, just a small little segment, right? Six-month-olds. Most kids under 24 have pushed back on this. Most people in general, by the way, have pushed back on this. But it says 66% of the same age group received the initial vaccine. So the point is that a huge portion of them got at least tricked or forced or manipulated or went along with it. But now even most of them, down to 5.5%, have said, no, thank you. They see it, guys. It's important. They're bribing them to get it. And now, after three years, Pfizer-Moderna begins another myocarditis trial. <laughs> my God. My God. So, so we'll still be asking the pharma indemnified foxes in the hen house to conduct their own tobacco study. So, really? Like, it is a joke. Like, so what if they're going to, we investigate ourselves and we found ourselves not guilty. It's exactly. What do they even bother? Because they're allowed to control the narrative. I agree. Now I'm going to skip over this in the interest of time. I just wanted to reiterate this part. We just went over this. This clip we just played with Dr. Maholtra, where he talks specifically about statins and how they're they're dangerous. That's what they're talking about here. What's interesting is he, after this, this study comes out of this post from the Times, thousands of middle-aged people are dying of heart conditions because they did not get their statins or blood 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 pressure medicines. And so he just calls them out. The distraction from the elephant in the room continues. The evidence of common serious harm to cardiovascular systems from the mRNA jab is overwhelming. So now not only are they pretending it's something else causing the problem, which he sees right through, but they're also pointing to something that in and of itself is not actually going to help them, according to what Maholcher was saying before the COVID discussion. 
The levels of pharmaceutical industry fraud at the root of this article is so extraordinary that the only rational explanation, rational explanation is psychopathy. It's the same tweet. He tweeted again about it because he's clearly. But this is another uh, doctor. I think he might have called attention to him about this Said statins don't explain it. A shift towards higher markers of endothelial inflammation. Do ask Dr. Seema Holter. He knows. But I recommend you watch this clip again because he gets into statins. Yeah, I don't want to try to find it. I should have brought it up before. I was I was planning on playing it, but this is longer than I wanted today. But he specifically talks about that and talks about how the data shows that most, like 4% end up helping. Or the fact that at the end of the day, it's not helpful. That it's actually hurting people. And here we are acting like that's the reason they did. They got heart problems. They didn't take them. I mean, it's just, this. It's they don't, I think they're drowning in their own lies right now. Here's another example of how these people, these doctors are being told not to do what they know is right. And in fact, getting a bonus to do what they hopefully know is wrong. My hospital, I was banned or discouraged from using off-label drugs, which we use every day, methylprednisolone, vitamin C. My hospital would not allow me to use vitamin C. We're talking about basic safe drugs. And it's an outrage. What they wanted me to use was remdesivir. Where remdesivir we know, and this is not controversial, we know according to the WHO, remdesivir increases your risk of kidney failure 20-fold. Remdesivir will increase your risk of developing renal failure 20-fold. It increases your risk of dying by about 4%. It has no place in medicine. Yet the federal government will give hospitals a 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill if you prescribe this toxic medication. So you can see how the hospitals and the healthcare systems are now subservient to industry rather than doing what's best for their patients. Very important. They're forcing you to do what we've proven is dangerous. And they're stopping him from doing what's historically been the right thing to do in any case, you know, with other things as well. But like the idea that they were legalizing the treatment with vitamin C, vitamin D. By the way, this was happening in large part before COVID-19. Remember the idea that some places made it illegal to inject vitamin C when that's been shown in studies to have very clear effect. It's just weird and, and transparent. Money to do the wrong thing. Now, Dr. Bhattacharya points out that at one point during the pandemic, he got direct orders from the leaders of Stanford Medical School to stop appearing on TV. But he had to speak. What's the purpose of his career if not for speaking at times like this? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so obvious what a controlled conversation. Now, the last couple parts here. This is the part about Scott Adams. Somebody made a great little montage of, of his tweets. It's just so bad. So bad. It says, you know, you just quickly go over them. You know, you saw most of this, guys. You saw. It says, if you're unvaccinated, you are in the middle of a deadly pandemic. Or if you if you are unvaccinated, you're in the middle of a deadly pandemic. If you're vaccinated, it's Wednesday. <laughs> what a terrible take. And the point is, plenty of people saw through this long before this. Dr. Bhakti, for example, in 2020 said, take these to your doom. Remember? <laughs> long before that. Before they were even being given. Here he says, I'm the best predictor in this country. Yeah, pretty humble. And I don't see any way to be certain about the vaccinations. I mean, think about how dumb that is, seeing as how clearly people did, where you, you, were, you were choosing to ignore the things that we, you were likely told conspiracy theory, like my opinion, 
or you were not seeing it all or how you could pretend that you didn't have all the information in front of you when people like us were shoving it in front of you and you were calling us conspiracy theorists or anti-vaxxers. <laughs> but he didn't see any way to be certain about it. So how did Dr. Bhakti, how did Dr. Yeden, how did Dr. Buttar, how did all these people end up being certain about this way before this? He says, you can't be certain you made the right vaccination choice and also believe in science. <laughs> Think about that. Despite me using peer-reviewed science to make these arguments. And says, that would be inconsistent. I believe in science. 95% of you will disagree with me, insisting you made rational decisions. I know I didn't. Once you realize you didn't either, we can talk, right? So if he was wrong, then nobody else could have been right. Think about the hubris in this. Note to people who are bad at critical thinking. If we someday learn that getting the vax was a huge mistake, please don't tell me you knew all along. You are guessing. This is when he very clearly got wind that he was wrong. And I, that's my opinion. And it was like, okay. But it says, you are guessing just like the rest of us. Someone will guess right. Well, no, there was doctors that didn't guess that told you you were wrong then. And you called them crazy. And it says, when a subset of the common people, don't you love that? We're all so Bhakti and all these dog common people get one right. All they can do is pretend like we're just a bunch of moron in your basement conspiracy theorists that just collectively guessed right. God, I mean, just think of the, the willful ignorance. There's a good place to use that it takes to pretend that's what's happening. He says the subset of the common people get one right entirely by luck. As we are seeing with vaccination criticisms, my God, they crown themselves as smarter than the experts. Like who is saying that? I don't pretend I'm smarter than an expert with a degree in cardiology or epidemiology. I simply acknowledge that there were people that were in those fields that were either too dumb to see it or chose to ignore it. I'm not saying I'm smarter than them in the field of these areas. I'm saying I looked to other experts who were pointing at this stuff and I considered it. I looked at the science. I educated myself and it was very obvious that it wasn't as simple as you made it. It's very easy. But actually, that's a case of being stupid twice. <laughs> the last part, the funniest part of all the pandemic punditry is that our data was so bad. Only the people who interpreted incorrectly made good predictions. My God. That will go down in history as, I mean, as that, if any, if people are honest, that should ruin his career. Quite frankly, I'm not hoping for that. I just think you can't be someone that predicts that I'm the best predictor and have that series of ridiculous statements. I said, so pathetically sad. Explain then, Scott Adams, how someone like Dr. Bhakti said these were dangerous for everyone in 2020. And those of us who actually looked at all the science objectively saw it as well. Been proving it on my show since the beginning of 2021. Just some good comments that you guys should check out. James Sintolo points out or asks, anti-vaxxers are showing up on Twitter spaces to debate because that's all it is, right? If you're arguing this is dangerous, you're anti-vax. See how simple that is? Doesn't matter if you've got 17 shots in your body and now you suddenly change. Now you're anti-vax. But it says, but pro-vaxxers aren't. What's going on? <laughs> and I think David nailed it on the head. He said, that's because there are no facts for them to debate. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. Hey, guys, it's... There would be an endless amount of these exact same conversations right now on Twitter or everywhere else, and that's just not happening. There's no public debates happening. People like Hotez go, oh, well, I won't deign them with a response. Well, no, because you can't defend your arguments. Because you, even Joe Rogan can make you look like a sloppy loser that can't make sense of the reality. Here we are watching these people hide from the truth, and they won't even debate it at this point. They've lost control of this. But these people still pretend like it's because they're just too big for it. We're, we're too, we have too much integrity. We won't debate. It's all right in front of us. And a better example of this to show you how real it is, not bigger than COVID-19, is this absurd article. 
or not the absurd, absurd article, but conversation. This is a great article from Stat News. It says FDA, Biogen, and an Alzheimer's drug approval. Well, you've known about this because we already talked about it. Eight takeaway, key takeaways from the con- congressional investigation. This is December 29th. Right. Where they're going, oh, my God, the Alzheimer's drug is not actually safe and effective. Who could have known? Well, we did. And we talked about it all the way back on June 7th, 2021. It's not in the title, but you can see we had the conversation about the Alzheimer's drug. And the conversation, as you remember, was about exactly this point, about the fact that it made no sense because the data, as I saw it through the peer reviewed science, was pretty damn clear that this was at best a pretty flimsy drug. And yet they approved it anyway. So apparently I'm smarter than the FDA. I don't think for, I don't, that's not my point is. My point is that they were people that are lying to you. And if you're just basically objective and care to engage with anything past the medians or mediums, like the people like the, you know, the intermediaries like Twitter files and the government and FDA, and just look for yourself, it becomes pretty damn clear. It's not that hard to do. And I think Stat News at the time was saying similar things. I might've, I think I might've even used, yeah, right there. One of their articles is one of the reasons I talked about this. So it's it's all there. But yet today, it's engaged with by the corporate discussion, like, oh my God, who could have known? Here's what I was saying before. Because things like this can happen. I mean, literally talking about the same conversation. Here, Biden, and I'll show you this is from the Washington Post. I'm just using this so you can see it. Biden's nonsensical claim about Alzheimer's and hospital beds. Apparently, Biden said... Uh, You know, if we don't do something about Alzheimer's in America, every single solitary hospital bed that exists in America, as the nurses can tell you, every single one will be occupied in the next 15 years with an Alzheimer's patient. Everyone. Why? Because of what they're doing to us. Not a secret. This stuff doesn't just randomly start happening. It's because of the aluminum in the air, because of what they're spraying in the air. Um, Patrick Roddy, who I I still still would love, I don't know, the third, I believe. I just had that up. Yeah, in the middle of whatever they tell us, the worst pandemic and blah, 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 that their own experts are like, it doesn't even work. Now, this is on, I mean, that's good enough. The point is, this is on the Associated Press. FDA approves much debated Alzheimer's drug. So on the, in the conversation, the, there were people speaking up going, look, this doesn't seem to work. In fact, there seems to be dangerous problems with this. And somehow it still got approved, not emergency authorized, approved. Even as their own people. So my point is, this is obscenely obvious. So yet here we are today, congressional investigators sorted through more than 500,000 pages of documents from the FDA and Biogen to chronicle how a controversial Alzheimer's disease drug was approved. We're baffled. And how it went from what was supposed to be the biggest drug launch in history to a financial catastrophe. Well, it's obvious right out of the gate. One, because the drug company was more convinced or more interested in making a huge success sell, you know, it, uh, drug promotion concept than really making it safe. And the reality is the FDA, as we'll show clearly through this process, was more interested in doing what they apparently think their job is than their actual job of making sure these things are safe. It says the resulting report is filled with fresh details about how one of the most sorted, storied biotech companies plotted with the federal agency that is supposed to regulate it and how Biogen decided it set a price for the drug, Aduhelm, that fueled a public outcry. So people were upset. The stat, the data showed that it wasn't right, that it was actually problematic, and yet it continued. It get, it got, it was given to people. It got approved. If you can't, if we can't see how clearly broken everything is, well beyond COVID, this is not one thing. I mean, we need to see how problematic this is. Now, this is FDA officials failed to document communications. Now, did they fail to document it? Were they just incompetent? No, this is a cover up. 
Investigator, that's my opinion, investigators counted 115 meetings, calls, and substantive email discussions about Aduhelm, the drug. However, the committee revealed only 66 calls and substantive email exchanges that weren't properly documented. Oops. So I guess we just never get to find out what the real conversation was. I wonder why. FDA leadership scrambled, but ultimately weren't able to fully resolve the disagreements before the presentation in regard to the drug. Analysis critical of Aduhelm only ended up being indicated at the very last appendix of this 300-page report. But my point here, internal clashes caused last-minute chaos. Okay, if the FDA's job, which we're supposed to pretend it is, is about making sure they're safe. There's not a timeline here. There's not some kind of pressure. The FDA should take as much time as it possibly wants to ensure these things are safe. If you if you can read and just write in this article and see that they were scrambling to get this done by a certain time, what's who's driving the bus here? Why would the FDA be worried about getting something done by the time this drug rolls out? That makes no sense whatsoever. What it shows you is just like with COVID, that they just go along to get along because they've probably been put in place by people above them that don't care about safety. Who knows why? But at the end of the day, we can see these drugs are right now, these injections that are out there are killing people and they're pushing it still. They just emergency authorized the booster. Here we are with an example of the FDA clearly being led by the company driving the drug, Biogen. Next part, it says, generally the agencies and drug manufacturers analyses and briefing documents are separate and independent. By contrast, Biogen worked so closely with the FDA on the briefing document that it was difficult to distinguish between who wrote what congressional investigators found exactly because the drug companies are writing documents for the fda like we saw with covid but my point here i actually by the way I'm, i i don't remember i think biogen was associated i, I forgot to look at i'm pretty sure biogen was connected to pfizer or one of these companies i, I don't remember off the top of my head so don't take that face value watch this show i go over it in here but then it goes on to say banking on a blockbuster right and this is where the company's coming from Internal projections forecast sales to reach $1 billion within one year after approval, the peak at $23 billion annually. So that's what they're aiming for, regardless of whether it's safe, whether it has the right effects. I mean, it's just crazy. Biogen is to consider a moderate price for the drug, a moderate price at a range of $15,000 to $30,000 for one treatment in order to maximize the drug's value and enable access to the most patients. Yeah, right? Because we've got a great medical system in this country, don't we? Nobody can afford that. That's the point. The insurance companies are the ones, I mean, it's the insurance was set up a long time ago with that book system to end up to making, to end up making it better for average people. Now it's become the exact same problem. The, the idea being that you should be able to do one or the other. This is impossible for anybody unless you're very, very wealthy. This is anything above 40,000, according to one document, would be pushing the limit. Yeah, because $15,000 for one treatment is affordable to the average person, right? Then you find out that it doesn't even work. Good for you. Biogen's analysis estimate analysis estimated some Medicare patients would face out-of-pocket costs of up to 20% of their income. That's how you make a successful drug in the USA. The FDA proposed allowing this drug for all Alzheimer's patients. Now, here's where you get into the reality of how the FDA is part of the problem. Not just a willful player, but a part of the problem. The congressional investigation, which again, the fact that this is happening after the fact, when all the data was there in the beginning, it's just the back and forth of this whole thing. It revealed for the first time that the FDA had initially recommended an unusually broad label for this. The original label made all patients with Alzheimer's eligible to receive the drug. 
even though it had, it had been tested only on patients with early stage. This is just like the COVID scam, right? So you only test it on a very slim area. You omit all these different groups, but then pretend like it's safe and effective for everybody. Or like pregnant women. Well, we don't even know, but we'll tell them it's safe and effective because we want you to think that. They only tested it on specific areas and then labeled it for everybody. That's the FDA pushing for that. Why would that make sense? Is that how you keep things safe? No. This is even more important. Biogen aimed to target communities of color with marketing, not clinical data. Biogen was focused on marketing this Alzheimer's drug to people of color, planning to spend upward of $3 million to advertise on Telemundo, BET, and setting out another $1 million for multilingual patient outreach, according to their own presentations. However, you'd be probably not surprised to find out Biogen, uh, they proposed health equity narrative and marketing plans were not supported by the drug's clinical trials. The government investigation noted this. In the two pivotal studies used to win this ridiculous approval, only 3% of the participants were Hispanic or Black. And yet they're going to spend the bulk of this just to aim it at those people? <laughs> I mean, who knows whether that's a, a eugenics program? I mean, who, God only knows what's going on here. Now, if you want more deeper conversation on the actual dangers of this and what they were showing, the other stat article is right there. The FDA approves Biogen Alzheimer's treatment. I won't prescribe it, the doctor was saying, because it's dangerous. And here we are, where they're going, oh, whoops, wait a minute. Now we're going to pull back on it because it's dangerous and it doesn't work. If only they had listened when we were yelling about that in 2021, or Stat was yelling about it in 2021. But we were called conspiracy theorists, right? Well, last five tabs here. Mama uh, Tatiana points out, took COVID crashing airline business to get rid of the war on terror rule. It's a great point, actually, because the article saying airport security and their 100 milliliter liquid rule to be scrapped. Wasn't that interesting? Was the, did, did the war on terror? Didn't they just say they just took out a bunch of ISIS members? Why is that no longer valid? It's, it was never valid is the point. It was about control. But think about how ridiculous this is. It's just like how suddenly uh, Maduro is, is now the president, but then he's not in a court ruling. And like it just, it, they use whatever they want whenever they want it. My take of this is that the war on terror is not their focal point anymore. So who cares about that? We're going to get you on the biometrics and the and the digital IDs. Now we don't care about the bottles and the the you know whatever else they were doing before the shoe bomber stuff. Like this is about the next step. So sure, they're going to switch the rules because these rules never really mattered. It was about control. But here's where it's going, and these are just a couple of quick blips that I'm going to cover in a deeper discussion coming forward about this. You know, the Great Reset side of this. Richard Wellings points out, and you should read the article. Under the planned new monetary system, people who refuse a treatment could be denied access to their own money as punishment, as we've even seen floated around the world already, or severely restricted in what they are allowed to buy or their purchases restricted to a small area in a kind of lockdown. And Raven News points out, there it is, folks, full monitoring of where you drive. The next thing we will learn is that they can turn them off at any time. This is the World Economic Forum proposes digital battery passport to track electric vehicle drivers. That's interesting. There's your Tesla right there. And she's right, by the way. The next thing, they could turn them off anytime. And she's exactly right. This is December 30th. Law will install kill switches in all cars. This is not a joke. This is literally being discussed as actually ways to shut down your car. Now, of course, this could be used in what they're arguing is like high-speed chases. But guess what? Get, wait until it becomes, oh, your carbon is too high, right? Oh, you didn't do the right thing. You didn't say the right thing on the internet or whatever else it is. You can't go to that protest. Shut you down. 
or whatever they justify tomorrow. This is your future in the technocratic control structure. This alarms the hell out of me. And it goes back to being able to, to as it says here, digital battery passport to track where you're going, to shut the car off, to control what you can spend, where you go, for you to take the right treatments. It's all the same thing. And just to finish, just to kind of a joke, happy 2023, everyone. Malcolm Roberts points out, just to want to start the year strong. I know I'm early, but I'm also an anti-microchipper. <laughs> I think it's funny because it's a great point to make. It's like, I feel like that's the next step here. They're telling you right now. As much as the screamers on Twitter will tell you you're a maniac for pointing this out, here's Klaus Schwab right there next to them going, this is coming next. It's amazing. So he's right. It's all coming your way, guys. But the point is, we see where this is going. All of it, from top to bottom. It's just about whether we have the wherewithal to do something about it. And never am I talking about violence. You guys know that. Never, never, never. But my God, it's all there in front of you. Now I'm going to end today with the same clip, I believe, from Catherine Austin Fitz. Because it's just so important to see how this is being done. And all of it ties together. Hopefully we could do something about it. Hopefully we can reach more people every day. And that's what we're striving to do. So thank you for being here. Thank you for continuing to be objective. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. When the central bankers of the G7 nations went into the room in Jackson Hole in August 2019 and they voted on the going direct reset, everything that's happening to us right now is part of the going direct reset. And they voted on it. It was a plan. Okay. So they wrote a plan. They decided to do this. So they've been, they've been engaged in the financial coup for 20 years. We're now coming into the end game. They have to consolidate the financial coup and they vote on the going direct reset. And without one decision, they made a decision over the next year to put 500 million people out of work. That's the equivalent of dropping several nuclear bombs around the world. That's financial warfare. And they made it intentionally, they made it knowingly, and it was a plan. And what is very important to understand when you think about this pandemic is people are not dying from magic viruses. People are dying from tyranny. They're dying from a great poisoning that's part of that tyranny. But our problem and the thing we need to be afraid of is tyranny because the tyranny is about to get much, much worse. And... And it's the passports and, and that system of central bank digital control that will give them the ability to do that. What if the experts are wrong? What if quarantining the healthy doesn't actually save lives? What if wearing a mask in public is not effective? If you do not have a mask, My name is Dr. Jeff Barkey, and I'm here representing thousands of physicians across the country whose voices are being silenced because we don't agree with the mainstream media and the experts who are telling us what to do. Everything I've seen in the last nine days, all the things that just don't make sense, the patients I'm seeing in front of me, the lungs I'm trying to improve, have led me to believe that COVID-19 is not this disease and that we are operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. Never in the history of this great republic have we quarantined the healthy. 
Never in the history of this great republic have we told churchgoers that it's illegal for you to exercise your First Amendment right to freedom of religion. Never in the history of this country have we been told that you can't go to church because it's not essential, but you can go get an abortion because that's essential. Never before in our country have we let criminals out of jail, but we've told you you can't exercise your Second Amendment right and protect yourself by purchasing a firearm. When liquor stores are deemed essential, but your businesses are deemed non-essential, there's something wrong going on. We cut off people's utilities this week and made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that. You didn't want to meet. This booklet, the Declaration of Independence and our U.S. Constitution, was never designed to restrain the people. It was designed to restrain the government. We're realizing that the fatality rate of this virus is in the ballpark of a bad seasonal influenza. Do not let your voices be silenced. We will see eventually that this government-imposed cure is going to be worse than the virus itself. But what's happening now is unemployment reaches 20 to 30 million people is those folks are now becoming dependent on the government. And what government dependency causes is a larger, more tyrannical government. We the people want to put our government back in its place. We want a small representative government, not a large tyrannical government. I'm here representing thousands of physicians around the country whose voices must be heard. We've never seen where we quarantine the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms and lock them in your home. So you guys are asking me to leave the store for not wearing a mask when I have a medical condition, even though yours is pulled under your nose. A note that says I don't have to bring a note, and yours isn't even on. Just do whatever you want to do. It's America, right? Listen, I cannot wear a mask. Get out! Do not let your voices be silenced.